What is happening, everybody? Welcome back to Tour Life. Today is Tuesday, February 27th, and we are going to be talking all about the chess.com invitational that just went down this past weekend in Florida. We have the MPO winner, Anthony Barella, joining the show. We also will be talking about the Disc Golf Network and the PDGA Live. How did it go first week? A lot of new stuff. Did it go well? Did it go bad? The good, the ugly. We have an interesting wild story of the week this week. We've got some Edwin stats, which I'm very excited to share. I think one of the things he did at manscaped.com, embrace a new you and definitely embrace a new trimmer, courtesy of Manscaped. Thanks to our friends, Manscaped. Um, Brody is super choppy and lagging. Hmm. Am I bad on your end, guys? Not I feel for like me. my internet's I feel like my internet's pretty good. Hmm. Not sure exactly what's going on there. So Okay. Apologies. Hopefully hopefully that gets figured out. So I'm sorry, but thanks to our friends over at Manscaped as always. Thank you. Thank you. Uh Yuli, how's it going, brother? It's good. <clears throat> here in Arizona, man. Quick turnaround from chess.com. Oh, snap. Made it back over here, playing the memorial this weekend, checking out some family, oh. hanging out, you know. So, no always break a fun for weekend. you, huh? No, I. Back this is one of my favorite. Yeah, this is one of my favorite tournaments of the year. Really, memorial has always been uh, one that I try not to miss. Oh, is, is it doing the same thing? Two two rounds at Vista, two rounds at Fountain. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Okay. Yeah. I yeah. I mean, up. I think. I think it's a solid A tier. I mean, obviously we've yeah. talked about it not being on tour, but I think it's still a really good A tier event. Well, it's great because it's kind of like a throwback tournament, you know? It's got mm-hmm. the par three challenge, you know, you gotta go way low at uh Fountain Vista is always pretty tough. Lots of OB, lots of mandatories, and the payout's always pretty good in the field stack. So I was gonna nice say who's to- all there this week. Shoot, Gannon's here, um Isaac, uh Anthony, you know, some Parker, good players for sure. Those type of all those Arizona guys. Yeah, Parker, California Goose crew. Playing. Yeah, Gooseman's definitely playing. Yeah. So it's a stacked field for sure. That'd be a good one. Well, I am back in Dallas. I got back. I actually was able to get on an early flight. It's never a good thing when you're able to, you know, normally I buy I get my flights for like Monday morning. So it's never good when I'm changing my flight from Monday morning to Sunday. Uh, but unfortunately I was, I was able to do that. So, I mean, the positive was I was able to see Kelsey earlier. Um, she is, uh, she's doing good. She actually, uh, just had a little surgery, so she will be back to hundred percent, hopefully in a few days. So I'm just kind of home right now, kind of taking care of the house, taking care of the corgis, making sure everything is running smoothly. Um, but yeah, back back here for a few days and then we've got Waco coming up so I'll probably head down there on Monday I would assume we just posted our practice round which normally we post that like Tuesday before the tournament and we're now posting it Tuesday after the tournament the Wi-Fi situation was not good that was uh that would probably be one of the cons of that course is it's out in the middle of nowhere so it was very difficult to find fast internet and yeah. so we got the video up today unfortunately but hopefully people are enjoying it and uh yeah just back in dallas man it was 97 degrees i think yesterday or something here it was awesome it felt incredible awesome? 
Yes, 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 yes. yes. I love hot. hot. I love hot. I like hot, but I mean, 97 out of nowhere after being in like 60s is Mm. getting up there in the temperature. To me, that's like um, that's like going outside when it's snowing and rolling around in the snow and then jumping in a hot tub. It's just like Feels going good. from that. Oh my god, it's it's one of the greatest feelings ever. Um, all right, so we're gonna have Anthony come on at eight thirty. Before then, I figured because I I really want to discuss a lot of like the course and and the turn. I want to do all that with him on here. So before I figured we'd have some time to maybe talk a little bit about how our tournaments go. I have a lot to talk about on that. I don't know how much you have or how much you want to share, um, but I, I, I'll let you kind of go first on what went down at the chess.com invitational for you this past weekend. Yeah, I think mine was, I've had time to reflect on it a little bit for sure. I, I actually played really good. I felt like, and the wind kind of got you like I wasn't there long enough to really figure out. It was the very windy on Friday. Yeah. Very so, windy. My, so I got like two practice rounds in, but they were in great conditions. And then the wind started. And like I said, I felt like I played really good. I caught a couple bad breaks early. My mental wasn't quite there. And my putt was just a little bit off. And that cost me. I mean, just a couple missed putt cost me like four shots because you miss out there and they roll away and it's like this big mm-hmm. deal. So I went from birdie to bogey a bunch of times. Second round came around and I felt even better and I felt like I played way better, but I popped, uh, I was five over after five holes with like some pretty good shots. You know what I mean? So it was like this crazy, I was just behind the eight ball, like way early in that tournament, way over par and got out of there. I battled the second round, got it back to even at one point and then went like bogey, double bogey to finish. So it was, it was close, you know, that flips right there. And all of a sudden, you know, I'm a couple under for the tournament, which isn't great, but it didn't, it it went the opposite way. And so I went into the final round, felt great again. And a couple bad breaks here and there. I shot a three under par, which was respectable, but I didn't think that was really that good. Before the tournament started, I saw myself shooting three to four under a round, no problem, is what I was mm-hmm. thinking. If I really clean things up, maybe have an even par in there or something. And it just didn't happen. Uh, a lot of things out there, if you are throwing, what I learned is if you're throwing the wrong speed into some greens, it can really bite you too. Like I was hitting greens rolling away, just rolling off the greens. Cause I was throwing too fast into there, but the ceilings force my style of play to throw yes. that so that I wouldn't pull it with a slower driver or have to throw harder down these tunnels. So I wanted to take some off, but then I'm landing on the greens and rolling away. I love the challenge out there. I felt like there was a couple holes that were really like sidearm friendly, like power sidearm friendly. They were almost two power sidearm friendly, like the four or the five thirty down the hill to the right. Felt mm-hmm. like that's a brainless hyzer for a lot of people, a lefty even. And for a backhand, it took with the wind the way that it was, it took like this highly perfected turnover down a hill, which um I ended up getting it once. But it, that's beside the point. I felt like there was a bunch of holes kind of like that. Uh overall I I'm happy with the way that I played. The result was horrible, which sucks. But 
if I can clean up a few things, I feel like I'm not far off at all. Nice. Yeah. So I'm in a little bit of a different, first off, I thought I was 37 years old. I'm actually, wait, I think I was 38 and I'm 37 or I think I was 37 and I'm 36. Hold on. Let me do the math real quick. No. Yeah. I'm, I thought I was 37. And I'm 36. I'm turning 37 this year. Okay. So that's, that's the first thing. That's but awesome though. You are younger than you thought. I, there, there may be a chance I might be having a midlife crisis. Chance <laughs> <laughs> I'm having my first ever midlife crisis. And let me kind of explain. So this happened at some point. I don't, I can't really like put my finger on when last season, but at some point last season, it really felt like I was just kind of going through the motions and um, like I was going to practice because like that was a part of the routine. I was going to play tournaments because I, you know, I have to go and try to get points to make it to the disc golf pro tour championship. It, it started feeling like I was just doing stuff because I had to. And that was like a major shift. And I was thinking maybe it was like, okay, maybe I'm just feeling this way because it has been a long season. You have played a lot of tournaments and like, it's just kind of getting that monotonous over and over. And this off season, I really spent this off season spending time with Kelsey, spending time with my like family and, and going on trips and doing all that. And there wasn't that same fire energy passion that I had in previous years of like waking up and being like, I want to go putt or I want to go to the field and practice, or I want to go to this course and see if I can beat my score or later in the night after I've already practiced you know, a couple hours that day, later in the night being like, I'm going to go out and putt for an hour. Like that wasn't like, that wasn't there. And it was something I was trying to figure out. And then maybe I was like, okay, maybe if I just, just don't do anything, maybe that hunger, that fire will come back. And it didn't, it, it, a hundred percent did not this tournament this this tournament was um quite frankly it was it was very boring yeah and i'm at a part i'm at a portion in my life and and i got to this portion fairly i would say fairly quickly of where there was a year or two after college of where like I sat down and I was like, I have to freaking grind and I'm making no money, but I see the light at the end of the tunnel. But then once I got to that point, I always, I, I continued to work hard, but it didn't feel like work because I loved what I was doing. I loved going and filming six to eight hours doing these trick shot videos. I loved going and playing in these tournaments. I love going and running track workouts with my team, uh, everything with ultimate. I never once in my ultimate career felt 
unpassionate, not wanting to practice, not wanting to go to a tournament. Yeah, yeah, sure. Sometimes waking up early and doing a track out, track workout or waking up early and going to the gym. Yeah. Sometimes I was like, oh man, I kind of wish I didn't want to do this, but then it always would snap out and be like, I have that goal. I have that team. I want to go. And every time going into a tournament, I was always looking forward to it. I was always excited to competing. This was the first time that I, I could not care less. I couldn't care less. And it was so, it was such a, it was so hard. It was so difficult going out there and it didn't matter. It didn't matter if I shot 10 under par or if I shot 10 over par, it didn't matter if I birdied a hole. I didn't birdie a hole. I legitimately just was not interested. I wasn't having fun. And, uh, I mean, I wrote on here that my favorite moment playing those three rounds was on hole 15, Tim Barham got one of his discs stuck in a tree and I had to get, we started picking up rocks and trying to hit the disc out of the tree to get it come down. That was the most fun I had the entire week was trying to hit this disc out of this tree. And so like, I'm in this weird spot where I have never, um, I have never chased money, right? I have never done, I've never made decisions in my life to try to make more money because at the end of the day, I always want to do something that I was passionate about. And if I put my time and effort into something that I'm super passionate about, I will be successful in that. I will work myself in a way to become successful in that. And I think if you look at disc golf, I feel like I have done that already, right? I have seen some success, not as much as I wanted, obviously, but I have seen some success at tournaments. We have a very successful podcast. Uh, Foundation is extremely successful. Atlas is is extremely successful. So there's parts of disc golf that I have found success in. I'm trying to figure out what is going on because I don't, I honestly don't have an answer. I don't know what to do. And it's a weird one because um, I've never had this issue before. I've never had issue of where I've, I haven't been dedicated, motivated, passionate to chase after a goal. And so it was, it was a weird tournament. And I don't know if people could sense that when they're out there watching me, but um you know, I, I ended up birding like hole one on round two and round three. And it was just like, you know, I would just pick the disc out of the basket and like start walking to hole. Two. It was, it was almost if I just was just ready for it to be done. And the thing that's the weird and I can't figure it out is like, this has never happened before. I've never, I've never had this happen before with anything. Normally it's always like some sort of injury, something, something is causing me not to to continue to follow my passion. Like something is prohibiting me from doing that. And, uh, I don't know if I, if I'm at the age now of where like leaving Kelsey all the time is tough or what, but like, I, I legitimately just did not enjoy playing disc golf this past weekend. And, uh, it was, it was a tough realization to have. Well, yeah, I mean, it's just a classic case of burnout to me, honestly. I mean, it's pretty simple. We've all had those things. Like, I've been playing for 17 years now, Brody, and I've had years 
I've had months and months and months of feeling that way of like, why am I here? I don't want to be here mm-hmm. and just kind of going through the motions. But what it comes down to for, for me, and I can only speak for myself is I've always had, um, goals that I want to reach. And those goals come before everything for me, right? Like it doesn't matter if I set a goal and this is, I was taught this a long time ago. If I set an ultimate goal, then that's just what I'm going to do. And I'm not going to stop until I get that ultimate goal. That's the way that I work through that time. You're going to have burnout because waking up and practicing and all that stuff is, it sucks. Like you said, sometimes, sometimes it's awesome. Sometimes it's great to get up and, Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, I want to do this. I want to do that stuff. For me, what I found is the days where you don't want to do it, finding a way to get it done once you reach some of those goals makes it feel, feel a lot better. So the burnout happens and sometimes it's good to take a break, dude. I've taken multiple times in my career. I've taken three, four months off of the main tour events and just been like, okay, I'm not going to California. I don't feel it. I can't do it. See, that's and why I thought I did this off season though. See, the I, I probably, I probably played disc golf. I probably threw try. or putted disc golf for less than like eight hours this off. That's not the same thing, Brody. What I'm saying is you take time off of playing tournaments and you watch other people playing the tournaments. It'll get you back to being motivated. You're going to see them playing. You're going to watch them competing and you're going to either want to go back or you're not. Mm. And once you don't want to go compete against those guys, when you see them out there and you see the courses that you've played good at before and you're sitting at home, eventually you're going to be like, no, I missed the competition. I want to do that. Or you find something else like that's yeah, always this, a thing as well. Yeah. David, David just made a comment. And I think this, this is where I've, if you have followed me from the very beginning, if you have followed me from my ultimate career, my trick shots, if you follow me from the very beginning, you will know that I literally do stuff because I love doing it. And yeah. David just said, sounds like it's turned into a job and not a passion anymore. I have, I have put so much work into my passions and I have honestly, cause I think there is a lot of luck to be involved, right? Mm-hmm. The fact that I had a connection with dude perfect and I was able to do a video with them early on definitely helped. That's not something that everyone has the ability. I was just in the right time at the right place. We went to the same church. Things kind of just fell in place for certain things. And then I also obviously worked hard at it, but that is something that, I'm in a position right now where like, I don't need to have a job. Yeah. I, I can just, I can just be done. Me and Kelsey can just, ter- you know, delete all our social media and just no one can, will see us ever again and we can just be done and we're fine. And so th- the money, the financial, th- that side that I think really motivates a lot of people and drives a lot of people makes them kind of get up in the morning and yeah, they don't want to go to their job, but they have to. See, That's I don't what I think, think is making this really hard because he said, sounds like it's turned into a job and it's not a passion anymore. And I have just always followed my passion, regardless of whether it was leading to money or not. I have always followed my passion. I was making no money when I first doing, when I first started doing YouTube. Right. And I didn't know if there was going to be any money in it. Um, but I was just making videos about how to throw a Frisbee and throwing Frisbees in the trash cans because I absolutely love doing it. And right now I love doing this podcast. I love working with Hunter with foundation. I still love acts aspects of disc golf, 
but the competitive side, I don't know what it is. I, I, I just was not fired up to play. And, um, you know, clearly that showed. Silas, I lost him. Am I back? Yeah, you're back. Do you still want to win? Is there still a goal? Like you, See, that's you've the always, thing. do you, that's the do you crazy thing. if I, if I would have won this weekend, I don't think anything changes. Like I was, there was moments in time of, is it me Silas or is it Yuli's internet? Oh, 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 Yuli, your internet might be going in and out a little bit over there. I can hear you now. You got me? Yeah. Silas says he hasn't, Silas says he hasn't lost me yet. Okay. Okay. So it's me. That's fine. It might just be your internet. All right. Um, yeah, so there were moments of where I played good and I was uh, one under, two under through portions and it wasn't like my mood changed and I was like, oh, this is fun. And then when I played poorly, I was like, oh, this isn't fun. I, I just, I wasn't interested. And so um, that's why I don't, and that's, that's the thing that's the bothersome is old Brody after a performance like this would come back to Dallas and be like, I need a freaking grind and I'm going to go out and get a top 10 in Waco. That's just not the case anymore, man. And I'm wondering, did you lose me again? Did we lose you? And and this is, this is a big one because I was talking to uh, shout out to both my caddies too, because they were, they were great to talk to because we were kind of having these conversations because they were both roughly my age. So we were kind of having these conversations while we were playing because they both were like, yeah, man, I, I can totally see like, you're just, you're just not in it. And, um, the thing is, is like the competitive side and the winning like that has to be there. You have to have that goal and drive to want to actually win, to want to actually compete. And the question that I have is, was disc golf, was disc golf just fun and enjoyable because it was new? That, that is the concern, or that's a question that I'm having right now. Did I really just like disc golf a whole lot? because I wasn't good at it. I didn't know how to throw these discs. I didn't know what these discs were. And was that like the fun part? Like, was it the newness of it was what it was fun. And then once I kind of figured all that out, I realized like, Oh, like disc all, I'm not actually, I don't actually really like this as much as I thought I did. Everything's like that. You find a new game that you like you and you, and you get addicted to it and then it runs out of its whatever. Everything's like that. But I, I think for myself, listen, from the first time that I started playing disc till now, of course, there's not as much passion. When you're first learning how to play disc golf, it's like the best time of your life. You're outside. Hmm. There's new things. You learn something new every day. It, it, at some point it does become a job because it is our job. Um, for me, I like competition. That's what I like disc golf it i don't practice as much as i used to i still do it because it's my job to go out there and do it and i don't enjoy it i don't enjoy going to a field and throwing a bunch of stuff sometimes it's therapeutic but 
something that's therapeutic is usually not that fun either. Like meditating takes concentration and like patience and blah, 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 blah. It's not the funnest thing. You know what I mean? Hanging out with the, with your buddies and playing a game of basketball. That's fun to me. That's like extremely fun, right? That's Mm -hmm. a a big joy of my life. If I could do that, hanging with my Mm -hmm. friends, joking around and blah, 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 blah. That's the funnest part that you'll ever have in your life. Disc golf, not so fun, but I love competition. And when I look at tournaments, I hold on to a belief in my heart in my heart that I'm going to win again. Right. And that's exciting Mm -hmm. for me to chase that because I know I'm getting older and I can, and that's, what's pushing me to, to keep doing it is because I'm like, no, I want to prove the world wrong. Like, I don't want like, you know what I mean? Like I have those goals. I want to set a bar of being like, no, I'm going to prove the world wrong. Whatever they think. Yeah. They think Mm -hmm. that I'm getting burnt out. They think I don't love it. People are going to listen to me talk about like this and blah, blah, blah. And then I want to do it. And that's going to be awesome. Because all of that burnout and blah, 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 will be worth it at that point in time. And there'll be a new passion and blah, blah, blah. I always said this. It's a good thing. I never want to major. It's a good thing because a lot like you, I love new things. I love like when I started playing pickleball, dude, I played every single day. I loved it. It was absolutely a blast because it was a new thing for me to learn. I was bad at it. I love being bad at something and then getting good at it. Right? Yes. But I also made a deal with myself that disc golf, I wasn't going to leave it because I want to make it better. Right. So I have these other things too pushing me along. Like I, I always say this, people wonder why I do so much stuff. And I tell them it's because I don't want anybody else doing it. I think I can do it better than them. And I love disc golf because of what it's given me that I have to give back. Right. I have to make disc golf when I'm done. I want it to be a better place plus the goals of, of those other things. And that it's yeah. not fun getting well, beat see, by these guys, these young kids every single week by a hundred strokes is not fun. It's depressing. But, but this is where I'm having a little bit of dilemma because ultimate Frisbee. I never, I never, I played it for 10 years. I never got to the point of where it wasn't fun or got to the point where it felt like a job. I got removed from ultimate Frisbee because of injuries. You're then, also then, young. Then I go fairly. Yeah. Then I go to golf later in my life. Same thing. I didn't remove myself from golf because I was no longer having fun. I got to the point in golf where I was like, Hey, the next step is for me to either move to Latin America or move to like Asia and play on the Latin America tour or the Asian tour. And at this point, me and Kelsey had just recently got married which we actually, our fifth year is coming up in a few days. Um, Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Um, you you're not too far behind us, but uh, <laughs> at that point in time, I was like, do I want to completely, you know, she was going to stay in Dallas and come visit here and there. But I was like, I'm newly married. Do I want to just be gone all the time? And that's what is now my life. I'm gone all the yeah. time. I, I don't see her very often as much as I do. And, uh, yeah, I think a lot of these things kind of play into it and, um, yeah, priorities change. And, um, I think I'm definitely going to take your advice of what you said. I think you said some really good stuff. I think this season, what I'm going to do is I'm going to look at the schedule and just kind of pick the tournaments that I'm like, these are the ones I want to play. Um, I've got another year, uh, with Discraft on my contract, 
So I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that at the end of the year that they're happy with um, signing me, right? And, um, you know, obviously we're going to still do this podcast. I'm still going to be involved with Foundation Atlas. I'm going to still do all that. But uh, this was that was just a, it was a very weird moment for me. It was a very raw moment for me because you know me, I'm crazy competitive. And I had no fire this past week. It's okay. That's the thing. Like it's you the can't, first time it's ever happened in my life. You can't so beat yourself very up about scary. stuff. Like it was that. very it's, scary. I'm, I know. Yeah. But it's just that's like I would have allowed general. you to just walk up to me and punch me in the face and I wouldn't have done anything. <laughs> I would have allowed you just to dominate me. And I would have just been <laughs> like, I would have laid down and be like, yeah, all right, whatever, man. oh i think another thing that i that i see that i tell i tell a lot of people is the off season can be for two things don't do anything and then as soon as the tour starts you're gonna get your butt kicked you're gonna get killed now because you can't take time off there's no time you're gonna get lapped and i do and i do believe this the harder you work, the easier it is to play because you've already sacrificed. And so when the tournament starts, the jitters hit because you sacrificed all this time of being like, no, this is what I want to do. This is what I did. I deserve to play good. And it gets the tournament jitters back. Somebody who doesn't practice and shows up the whole one, there's no expectations. The only expectation no. is, is this, I didn't do anything this off season. Yeah. You know, this isn't going to no nerves. Then, Maybe There's no it, nerves this past yeah. week. <laughs> maybe it's going to be good. Maybe it's maybe I just come out and that's what you know. You're testing the waters. You're trying to convince yourself that it was okay to not do much in the off season and then play. That's not the way it works, man. Yeah, I, think I went back zone, to a lot of ultimate frisbee mode. <laughs> yeah. A lot of ultimate frisbee form out there. <laughs> but it, but it's the truth. You know what I mean? The harder you practice, the more pressure you put on yourself. Yeah. The more sure. in the zone when they get on the first tee, you're like, yeah, it's my time. I put in the time. It's my time to do this thing. And when you don't do it, you're not going to get those nerves and you're going to get stomped. Yeah. Well, speaking of someone that did a fantastic job of handling the nerves this past weekend, we have the winner of the first ever chess.com invitational. Anthony Barella joins tour life. Now, AB, what's up, brother? Going good. Uh, Size, do we have his mic good? We got a little echo AB try, problem. Yeah, try again, AB. Yeah, the mic. Um, but yes, so we're going to, we're going to change up the pace a little bit here. People are saying, uh, welcome to therapy life. Uh, so we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll change, we'll change up the pace a little bit here. And, uh, we're going to go and talk now about the chess.com invitational. This tournament just went down this past week. It was a three round tournament at a brand new for the disc golf pro tour, brand new course. However, this course had been um, played before as throw down the mountain. Um, I, yes, we, that's better audio now. 
Yeah. All right. Sweet. My other headphones. Okay. You're. Oh, look at that. He went to tournament. He's got two headphones, Yuli. Look at this guy. He's got got more headphones than me and you combined. Um. Okay. So yes, welcome. Thank you for joining us, AB. Always fun to have you on Tour Life and Talk. I guess my first question is, how much of a relief do you feel now getting that first one out of the way? I mean, I don't even think I can explain it. It's just my entire disc golf career has just been like, oh, when's he going to get that first one? When's it going to happen? And then I've been so close so many times and to finally do it, it just, it really hasn't even sunk in yet. It just, it's crazy. And we don't even really have time to like let it sink in because we're jumping straight into a tournament in two days, the Memorial. So yeah, it's just been a crazy feeling. Could you feel, because I had no idea that you, this was your 11th lead card. This was your 11th time that you're in a pretty good position to win a tournament. Could you feel that throughout that round? Like the buildup of like, okay, here we go again. Like this is another chance. Don't, I can't blow this one. I got to take it. Like, is, did that just get higher and higher every single time you put yourself in that position? Um, It does. I'm not entirely sure if this is correct, but I think that was my first time ever leading going into a final round at an elite or anything like that. And that just gave me some extra confidence. And I felt like I have this lead already. I've already finished out around with the lead. I can do it again. And I just kept my confidence and took it one shot at a time. Is there a scarier person than Ricky Wysocki chasing you down? Like, is there, is there anyone else out there that you think would be scarier to have on your heels right now? I mean, not really, honestly. It's like Ricky and Macbeth are obviously the two most intimidating disc golfers ever. But Ricky's a lot more vocal when he's playing with you. Like he's just in your face with the fist bumps and the claps and, when he screamed yeah at me on hole 17, that was pretty scary. And I was like, wow, this is really happening. I've seen this so many times and it's like happening to me right now. But do you I think that was deep. directed towards you? Cause I watching it back, there was a small crowd that whole 17 for those that watched and didn't play. It's, it's not a great hole for spectators. It's, it's a very, very tight leading into that hole. Yeah. So there was like four or five people, which I don't even know if they were even supposed to be back behind that basket. <laughs> Um, but there was holding one of the rooks just standing yeah. there. <laughs> there was a couple people behind the basket and then you know the camera people all all you guys the competitors and then i think maybe some more fans were behind you guys Do, did you feel like that was like directed towards you though and not kind of directed towards like the main group i mean i don't know honestly it was like i was the closest one to him so i heard it the loudest i wasn't I wasn't like looking at him. I already knew he was going to make it. I just had a feeling that it was going in. I mean, it's Ricky Wysocki. I, I, every putt he went up to, I expected him to drill it. But yeah, when he yelled that, it was pretty intimidating. And it made me whiff that 25-footer. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God that didn't go OB. That would have been, been yeah. real dicey. Um, what What do you think was the biggest, if you could like, pinpoint one thing what was like the biggest difference between this time and all the other times that you had a chance to win um 
I'd been leading since the beginning of the tournament. So I just knew that I was throwing the disc better than everyone that weekend. And I just, it felt like every shot I had the confidence that I knew I was going to execute it. And it just snowballed into more and more confidence. And then that shot on hole 18, I just, I knew I was going to throw it well. I'd been thinking about it all day and I've replayed that shot in my head so many times, just throwing my Athena dead straight up that hill and I made it happen. It was just building confidence throughout the entire week. Was the way that whole 18 was structured, did that also kind of help the confidence a little bit of where if that hole was more of a throw until you land on the island hole, would that, do you think that changed a little bit? Did, did it, did it, did you feel like you could confidently throw that sh second shot? Cause to me, the tournament was almost one when you landed in the fairway on your first shot, because if you do the math, you literally throw your second shot into the, into the cliff. Then yeah. you go up there and you can make the putt to save your par, or you can lay up tap in for bird, uh, for bogey. And then if mm -hmm. Ricky birdies, then I guess you guys are in a playoff in that situation. Yeah. Um, but you couldn't lose really once you were safe in the fairway did, did that, that the numbers go through your head at all or were you just focused on hey i gotta throw this in bounds uh yeah after i checked the scores after hole 17 i just knew that first one had to be in bounds to like really really have a chance to win the tournament and to go into playoff and i'm glad it didn't go into a playoff because he definitely would have had the momentum and i'm not sure how it would have went but i was gonna say do you know what I hole just, you guys would have played no, I have no idea. Yuli, do you know? No yeah. clue. Okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, no one knows. It would have been a surprise for all of us. Yeah. I'm glad it didn't happen that way, though. I know. But um, yeah. Well, well, what about yeah. like, what about like off season? You know, first tournament of the season. You're playing in practice. You know, you're playing well. Was there some sort of confidence from, from practice as well leading into there? Did you know you were going to be in the hunt or was it like a surprise? Like, okay, I'm okay. Yes. I'm playing good. I'm here again because I guess my question is we've all known that eventually it was going to happen. And that's a big story with, especially you around the disc golf world is okay. Here's a B and is he going to choke again? right? Is he going to choke again? Like they talk about European open. That's all I hear. Oh, he's going to blow it. Blah, 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 blah. Even going into the last round. If you look at the comments down in the pro tour, it was, Oh, AB's not going to be able to hold it. Or is he, or people being like, Oh, this is his time to do it. Moving forward. Were you like, no, I'm going to get this done the first tournament of the year and shut everybody up. Or was it just something that just randomly happened? through the course of the tournament um it really started like the first day i got to the course like paul Macbeth picked me up from the airport and we went straight there and it was his first time playing it as well and well like his first time playing like the new course and we were playing it and i was like telling him i was like i think it would be hard to beat out here i don't think you have a chance this week like just messing around we we're talking to each other and then yeah, I just I played I think like eight practice rounds and we got the we got the early practice with like the pressure for the all star event as well in those tough conditions. So I just really felt prepared like better than I have for tournaments in the past because I was there two weeks early, just ready to go and it was just a huge confidence building from the moment I got to the property.
Because from my perspective, when I think of a storyline for this season, there can't be a better start for you. Somebody with this much potential who was close all this time. And then you just stomp that out. And now to me looking at it, it's like, okay, the sky's the limit for this guy. You know what I mean? And we're going to see moving forward, but I, I don't know. I just feel like it was like, something that you see in like storybooks, you know what I mean? Like, it's not a real thing like this kid, blah, blah, blah. And then bam, he does it first tournament of the year shuts everybody up. And it wasn't like there, you know, there was a who's who of people in that top 10. You had a a charging Ricky down your breath. Gooseman was playing great. That final round, he shot a course record. It wasn't like a tournament, and we've seen some of these of where you know the top guys just don't show up for whatever, and and someone can kind of steal a win away. Uh, mm-hmm. You had some big names chasing you down, and you just played so well that you got so far out in front that they just didn't have enough holes to 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 track you down. And uh, again, the way you played eighteen was absolutely perfect. That's that's literally the best way you can play that hole. Do you think? Kind of going back to what you always talking about in the practice situation, the, you know, those two weeks of practicing on that course had to have helped not just you getting comfortable with that course, but you're not practicing courses like that in the off season. Mm-hmm. You're playing out in the desert, all open, hyzer shots. Yeah, Vista has some sort some holes that are low ceiling a little bit, but you're not getting any scrambling practice like out there. So do you do you see yourself maybe seeing how uh, successful you were with that much practice and maybe like a course that's very similar new London world championship also designed by Paul Macbeth. Do you see yourself maybe trying to get up there a you know, a week earlier than you normally would to get a lot more practice in? Yeah, it's just, I've been working out a lot this off season, getting stronger to like help my body, like handle lots and lots of reps. So I'm just going out to the course and just throwing as many possible shots just to get like comfortable and familiar with the holes. And it really, it really benefits. Honestly, I think the more practice rounds I have, of course, the better I'll play. Well, let's take, so let's take you back to your, I want to get kind of dive into your mental before, before this, what was your mental? Like, were you, are you the type of guy who was just like, okay, just give me enough time. I'm going to get a win. Or was it like, why does this keep happening to me? You know what I mean? And then that beca- uh, eventually becomes your identity because it's happening all the time to where you're like, I just can't break through every, every time somebody plays better or I blow up on 16 and and that comes out of nowhere and that's not me. You know what I mean? Are you the type of person who's just like, Nope, just give me time. It's going to happen. Or was it more of a surprise? Um, it was honestly a mix of both. Like I felt like, wow, am I ever going to win one of these things? And then, some days I'll be like, oh yeah, I'm just going to win the next tournament. It's just like, I don't really know. It's like a crazy mental thing with myself that I had. And I was just trying not to think about it at all this week. And I led the tournament the whole way through and won it. Yep. And it was just, yeah, a mix of both. So one thing that we saw at the European Open was Paul McBeth coming onto your bag later in the round final round who who was your caddy the final round and did he caddy for you the entire tournament and it, was that something that helped um i didn't have a caddy uh any of the rounds before that and then he came on hole i think 
six or seven. And who is but, this guy? No, he's talking um, about European Open. Yeah. Oh, no, I'm talking oh. about this tournament. Sorry. Oh, you're talking about this one. Okay, yeah. I'm talking about this one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, this is, uh, it was my girlfriend's little sister's boyfriend, and I got him into disc golf like a year ago, and he just instantly fell in love with it, and he goes to, uh, what is it, UCF, and so yep. he's uh, in yep. Orlando, so he drove up every day, and he just wanted to caddy for me, and he was just literally like the perfect caddy, like he kept up with me, because I know I like to run off, like down the hills and stuff, and get in front of everyone. And he would keep up with me, put, set my bag right in front of me every time I sat down or anything, and he'd give me fist bumps and just kept me a super level head. Like, I had really no reason to be frustrated. I was always comfortable, and he was just the perfect caddy. And I owe a lot to him because he was a huge part of that victory. So do you see yourself changing? Because I think this is one of the biggest blind spots that a lot of players have. And I, I understand that you know not everyone is in a position that that can have a consistent caddy with them but there are so many players on tour that based off of who they're playing with like the players on their card can actually help them play better or not because they can be like open and talk with them and i think you could have that every single time you play if you have a caddy you're comfortable with so do you see yourself kind of changing and going away from like i'm just going to carry my bag and be a you know by myself kind of thing or do you see yourself looking into maybe trying to find a caddy for future events as well um yeah i'm just the thing is for me with, with like a caddy for a tournament is it has to be like consistent it has to be the same person and it has to be every single round or I've seen just, you had like eight, I've seen you had like Adam jump on your bag yeah. or you have like Austin Turner jump on your bag, like for the final round. Yeah. And you're, you think that's kind of maybe in the past, it's kind of hurt you a little bit, not having them with you the entire time. And all of a sudden now you have a caddy for the final round. Yeah. I would say it's, it's just inconsistent for me. And it just like, I don't know if I, if I just carry my bag for the first three days, I might as well just carry it the rest of the day. Cause mm-hmm. I've been, I'm in that groove doing my own thing. And then same thing. If I have a caddy, I want them to be the same person every single day of the tournament. Yeah, for sure. Yuli, do you have anything? I mean, you, you're one of the few guys on tour that has a caddy consistently. Do you think that's also like a blind spot for a lot of guys? Do you think a lot of people could benefit from having someone? I think it's it's when somebody says, hey, if you were to ask one of the top players and give them advice of what they could do to be better, that's the one thing I would say that a lot of these guys don't have, which is a huge benefit, is a full-time caddy who you trust, who can do all that stuff for, for you. I mean, uh, you know, I travel with Anthony and Adam and Austin, and they get to hang out with Brad, my caddy, all the time. This dude does everything for me. Like he is an absolute rock star, maniac, positive, the most positive person ever. Without him, who knows how the last couple seasons were go? Because he was one of my only bright spots. He was the only person telling me like that I was good enough. You know what I mean? And when I see these other players just carrying their own bag, first of all, you carrying your own bag. I don't care how good of shape you are. By the end of the round, you're not as fresh as you could have been if somebody else is carrying your bag. Period. No matter what, like this, yeah. Yeah, No matter what level, it was was essential to have a caddy there. I don't know how people played that course without a caddy. And then I see other times where all of a sudden the rain comes. This actually happened. The featured card. Nobody had the caddy on the last hole, and they all absolutely blew it. 
I couldn't believe it. They didn't have a caddy. They didn't have an umbrella. I was like, how is this <laughs> possible? And I think Calvin like doubled the last hole or something. And listen, I promise you, if he has a caddy there and he has two umbrellas and he has a dry disc and a towel, he's not double bogeying that hole. He's too good. You know what I mean? He's he just not. And so when I see the top players all do this, I think it's the easiest thing to fix. I mean, what if it's, if you look at like, let's say a Calvin, and I'm just speaking on my opinion, obviously he might get a caddy and then blow up. I don't know. But let's just say hypothetically that this caddy saves you five shots total the whole entire year. How many times did it come down to the last hole in so many tournaments for like a Calvin. It could, it could possibly mm. yeah. get you with the stroke that you need to get over the hump for a win. Um, yeah. And it's all hypothetical, like I said, but that's when somebody asks me, that's what I say. I think a caddy is essential. There's a reason, there's a reason that, you know, the top players in traditional golf have great caddies. They carry their stuff all the time and they trust. Um, I don't know. That's what I think about that whole thing. Also, AB, you were correct. Our statistician Ed, Edwin Stats just confirmed this was the first time AB went into the final round with the lead. He has had the lead after two rounds and a few four-round events, Las Vegas last year being the most recent. So you were right. Sweet. There you go. Um, Silas, are you there? <laughs> Silas, I'm here. That sounds so, de- that sounds so desperate, Yuli. <laughs> you right, Yuli? You go. You okay over there, bud? You could hear me. Yeah. yeah no, it, it took that. me to a screen by myself. I was all alone and unprotected. Uh, yeah, that's what it so sounded like. You sound like a, <laughs> a scared little puppy in a corner. That's oh. funny. Oh, where do you go? Oh, there he is. You're popping back. All right, AB. A couple, a couple fun questions here for you. Um, this was sent in surprisingly by a lot of people. A lot of people want to know this. I have no idea where this came from. People, people are uh, starting to assume that you don't like your nickname, AB. Why would they assume that? I, there's just, there's just been some scuttlebutt of people saying I don't think <laughs> AB actually likes. His, I think Anthony Barella doesn't like his nickname AB, which I thought was weird because it's not like uh, we're calling you like the Terminator, and it's like yeah. a really <laughs> like it's just like it's just your initials, and a, a lot of people do that already. Yeah, my parents have called me AB since I was one years old. Like it's always just been like what I reply to, and one thing is uh, when gossage or Ezra or Tristan call me Tony that one. I don't, I don't know. About yeah. <laughs> yeah. They do that to get under your skin for sure. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, okay. So anyone that wants to come up and get a picture or a, uh, an autograph, you can call him yeah. AB. He will not, he will not get upset. Yeah. Um, okay. Glad, glad we got that. All right. <laughs> First tournament. I, I, I didn't want to have to come out of retirement. Okay. I did not I was happy in my own little world, <laughs> not doing anything, chilling, seeing, you know, seeing these photos at the end of these tournaments and just biting my tongue and looking the other way. <laughs> I got to ask. Saz is going to put the photo up. Yep. 
what are we thinking here? Um, at first, I was a bit confused. I actually held it up the wrong way because I thought there was something on the other side of it. <laughs> but then they told me to turn it around, and I was like, oh, it's just a chessboard. But, <laughs> yeah, in the moment, I was like, I didn't really care about the trophy. I just won the sure. tournament, so it didn't really of course. matter. And then after the round, Jeff Corns told me that it's going to get personally engraved, and then I'm going to get, like, a whole chess set, like, all the pieces and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, but, I think the end result is definitely sick. I think yeah. it's going to turn out to be really nice. Um, the problem is uh, most people aren't going to know that. Yeah, they have right? no idea. Mo- most people just think that you got a, you know, someone went into a Target or a Walmart. I think <laughs> someone was saying, like, some high-level chess players were saying, like, that's actually a really nice chess board. Like, it's a, it's, yeah, that's again... Again, we would have no idea. Yeah, I but, didn't um, know at all. Um, but I guess that is some sort of like kind of nice, classy chessboard. The thing I, I get, and again, chess.com invitational. Maybe Silas will throw this other photo up. If there was only something else that they could have like come up with and made like a really sick trophy that was like, if there was, yeah. if there was like something, yeah. if there was like something that was like, uh, like feminine that they could give to like FPO that had like chess. And then there was something that was like masculine, like, um, like if there was like a royalty thing, if there was something like that, that they could have given out, I think people would have loved that. But unfortunately I don't think there was anything that they could have tied in. So chess board, I guess was the only, was maybe the only thing there. So, um, but I got. I, I'm. All, I, I guess I'm out of retirement officially, and I'm back into the the rating, uh, chess tro- uh, not, sorry, rate, rating trophy. We'll rate it. Yeah, give us the rating. Um. Okay. So this is an item that I cannot find in my garage. I don't put my chess boards <laughs> in my garage, so that definitely bumps it up. Uh, but because there was such a clear like they could have made a a sick trophy, like a glass king and a glass queen and had your name. It could have been so sick. I think I got to give this a four, but I'm willing to, I'm willing to increase it. If you want to send me a photo once they engrave it and they give you the chest set and everything, if you want to send me a photo of the full trophy, I'm willing to increase that four. I will. And then you can post it on Twitter. I'll post it on Twitter and you you can like uh you can be uh do this for me. Have like the king and like slowly have it like tipping over. That would be the perfect photo. Okay. Like checkmate. <laughs> Speaking of checkmate, do you wanna do you wanna promo this uh this disc that's coming out for your win? Yeah, we got the commemorative TI swirl zones for the Chescott. They made a sweet stamp and I'm super pumped about it. And yeah, go check them out on teamdiscraft.com. You can pre-order them right now. Just I'm, it's been a long time coming for one of those. And, and I'm, I'm loving how quick they're it. doing this now. Yeah. I feel like two, three years ago, Yuli, correct me if I'm wrong. I'm feeling like this was sometimes like two weeks, three weeks, four weeks. Yeah. They would come out with a disc from like a, a win a month ago that people kind of forgot about. So this was I, I saw this yesterday, I feel like. Or yeah. maybe I even saw something Sunday night talking about it. Um, I could be crazy there, but yeah, so go check that out. That's going to be on, is that going to be on yours on yours or is that just discraft.com? Uh, that's going to be on the team page on mine. Okay. 
There it, there is. it is. Silas has it up. Look at that. Oh, That's that freaking is so sick. cool. Oh, yeah. That is a sick, <laughs> sick thing. Uh, who's better at chess, you or Gooseman? Goss is better. He's a, he yeah. likes to nerd out on the chess. He plays it 24-7. He does play it a lot now. <laughs> Yuli, are yeah. you nice with the uh, are you nice with the pieces? I just played Goss uh, a couple days ago oh, and it and we had a draw. Yeah. Wait, what? <laughs> you we ran out of time or what? Yeah, he, he was leaving and so he was just destroying <laughs> me. So I put the button that was like draw question mark and he, <laughs> he accepted it. And he accepted um, it. So I don't know. The, I mean, I guess the jury's still in session for that one, man. Last jury match. <laughs> he's good. He's good. I, I used to play when I was a kid, but I haven't played a lot in a long time. And and Goose was saying that he was practicing a lot because he was hoping to play Magnus. And... I mean, that would have been exciting. Have you guys seen those chess books, though, where it's essentially they have, like, in-game, so it's just a photo of, a ch- of like, an in, like, let's say, 30 moves into a game. There's a photo, and there's one way for you to automatically win. Like there's, if you do a certain thing, you will win a hundred percent of the time and you got to figure out like the eight moves, the nine moves, the 10 moves that you have to do to win. Have you guys seen those books? Yeah. I've no. heard of that. Yeah. The, there was a guy on my bus back in high school and that's what he would just study these books and like, fig- oh, it was, dude, these guys are nutty, nutty, nutty. Mm-hmm. Um, are you going to get into any, I, is this like now going to make you interested in playing chess more or is that just, uh, yeah, no. I actually downloaded the app when I found out that they were sponsoring the tournament. Cause I had it like a few years ago. Okay. And then the uh, CEO actually came up to us in the practice field and he's like, I'll trade you some disc golf tips for a free year membership. And I was like, Oh, oh heck perfect. yeah. yeah. <laughs> so he gave me the diamond membership for free for a year. And I've been playing. I've been playing a couple matches a day, just messing around with it. It's pretty fun. You got to reach back out now that you won and see if you can boost that up to a couple extra years. I feel like a win yeah. at their tournament <laughs> should be a couple extra years. Like the guy's kind of nice, too. His throw yeah, he had He's was actually kind of nice. Yeah, I was expecting him to be like a beginner, but then he just he had a smooth throw. Yeah, he it, was, nose it was down and everything. It was not too shabby at all. Um, let's talk about the course a little bit. Cause I want, I want you, we haven't gotten into it at all. I wanted to hold that, hold off on talking about that until you popped on. What was your overall, I mean, again, I don't think you're a person though. There are some people on tour that based off of their performance that decides whether they think a course is good or not. You're not one of those people. So I think, even though you did win, I think you can be critical and say what you actually think about the course. So what were your thoughts on Olympus? Uh, I loved it. I thought it was a beautiful property and I love courses that have a lot of sidearms and have like those tight straight gaps. Cause that's like my favorite shot to throw. And I'm most confident with like hitting those small gaps with like a fairway driver. And there's like a lot of shots where you have to down tempo and place it in a landing zone. And I like to, I like to club up and then slow down my throw for shots like that. So I think that was super beneficial. And yeah, it's just it was a great course and it really played well in my game. Sounds like you're judging it off of your performance <laughs> a little well, bit. I am. <laughs> I am, but 
I, Northwood Black's my favorite course on the planet, and I got 150 at the Ledgestone. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but they have similar shots, but I love the course. It's easily in my top 10 now. Yeah. You, have, you haven't played New London yet either, have you? No. You haven't been out there yet? Is yeah. that the... Is that the one on the golf course or the wooded no, one? No, the one on the golf course is called Ivy Hills. New London is the one that the Ivy Hills was designed by Nate Heinold and his team. New London was okay. designed by Paul um, in the city of, uh, oh man, why am I blanking on what that city is? It's not Lynchburg. It's um, Bedford. Forest. Bedford. Thank you, size. Bedford. City of Bedford. Um, so this course. I, I was, I had my doubts because we talked to Calvin a little bit in the off season and he was saying, you know, throw down the mountain. He's played out there quite a bit. He was saying it was going to need a lot of work. If you walked around, you got to see like the old tee pads. It was just like a really small piece of rubber. Right. Yeah, and so, yeah, the tee pads I thought were great. I didn't really have, I mean, the weather wasn't phenomenal. Like there was going to be a lot of mud and water on them. And I thought yeah. they held up pretty good still. I do worry about those tee pads though, because if they do get played a lot, I think those type that type of turf can get um, what is it run down really easily in that yeah. one spot and get kind of slick. But for us, I thought the tee pads were great. I was most surprised with the greens. I thought there were so many unique greens, and not only did you have to think about how you wanted your disc to approach the green, like angle wise, but also there were so many um, different difficult putts, different elevation changes, and then the rollaway potential. I just thought we don't really, maybe we get a couple greens like that on courses, but it, I couldn't really think of a green where I was just like, yeah, this one doesn't really make sense. This is kind yeah. of not that great of a green. I thought most of the greens were really, really fascinating. And to me, that's a huge thing because a lot of times we play these courses where they just put a basket somewhere in the middle and you land 60 feet from it and you have a wide open putt. Mm-hmm. And that was not the case at this course. Yeah, there was um, a lot more strategy involved with the scrambling at this course into the greens, which is, I think, I think you need to implement that into every single course because some of these courses you can just throw a spike hyzer from anywhere and park it. Yeah. But here you have to really trust your angles and match the hillsides and stuff like that. I didn't have many cons, but the few that I had, I, I wasn't a big fan of hole one being hole one. I think it's a good hole. I just, I don't think it's a great starting hole. Um, and then, and also it's just not good. You know, if you have a huge crowd, which I'm sure you had a way bigger crowd than I did at nine 20 in the morning. Um, it's, it's not easy for a big crowd to kind of see the shot. Cause if you're five or 10 feet back off your angle kind of gets cut off with the trees yeah, with the in hill. line with the hill and the trees. If you're like in the first, like right on the edge, you can kind of see the whole shot. But you know, if you have a massive crowd, I think that might be a little bit tricky there for hole one. And then the only other hole that like jumped out at me is like, ah, I wish they could try to figure out something was hole 17. I thought that was the only hole that I saw guys throw their shot and then literally look at the spotter to be like, am I inbounds or not? No one really knew if they threw a good shot or not. And to me, especially late in a round, I don't like 
having that flukiness. And we saw a lot of fluky stuff on that hole where some people skipped in bounds, some people clipped the tree and dropped and were safe. So, and I know you talked about in your your post um post interview how you didn't really know how to play that hole. I don't know if anyone really knew how to play that hole. Yeah. Where I, you guys to stock like on 17. The, I feel like I threw the same exact shot all three rounds off the tee. Different two results. Of them, two of them were out of bounds and one of them wasn't even close to being in bounds. It was just I don't know. I thought it was one of the better holes on the course, honestly. You liked it, really? The only thing I would change is I would take the OB by the trees and I'd put it farther down so that people aren't trying to crush it into the trees because you potentially could go OB. And that way, like AB said, he's doing the same. What are you talking about right now? Are you talking about the the T-shot? The T-shot. The T-shot going over and then into the trees. There's the OB line. But oh, you're I, saying the far OB line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Past I'm the saying, water. Okay. Because I don't want to see people throwing hard, trying to crash into the trees, hit down, and then throw their approach or whatever and being like, oh, I can get par no matter what. But if you push that OB line, I would say even just five feet farther into the tree line, you take that kind of out of play. Everybody's going to play the same shot. But I watched Ricky throw a shot, hit the stuff, come down inbounds. And then I watch other people just float too low and then skip out of bounds. So it was like, it was like kind of a luck luck factor. What I like about the hole is it brings a classic shot back into the equation on a really, really tough par four on a short par four to where you have to have touch over the water that lands soft into a landing area. And then another touch shot into another tight green. I don't think we see that often on our courses right now as we see them anyway i think because it's a blind shot though it's i think it's if it wasn't a blind shot if every there was shot's some, a blind shot up there there's a lot of blind shots on the course i know uh-huh. but i i just think because it's a blind shot like ab was saying i just didn't see guys throw it and we see this all the time. Guys throw it and immediately turn around. AB, when you threw your shot on 18, you knew instantly, boom, nailed it. It's money. And that shot, I just never saw anyone throw it and were confident. And to me, coming down the stretch, I would, I, 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 I that's my only, con- my only complaint is I, I don't, I just thought it was a little fluky where people yeah, were throwing just, shots never, and they didn't know if it was good or bad. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. That's my only thing. Is like you could throw 10 shots and you'd be like, that one's good, that one's good, that one's bad, and you could be wrong about all three of them. But I like the second shot a lot, and I like the whole I like the concept of the hole. What if okay, what about this? What if they somehow built the T pad up? I don't know if they could do that, but what if they built the T pad up to where you're level with the gap you're hitting? To where you had a little bit more of a visual on your landing zone. Yeah, maybe that ruined the hole. I think I I think part of the part of the hole is you have to trust your shot, and not being able to see kind of makes it like that much tougher. You know what I mean? Like you have to because it's it's more tricky. No, no, no. If you throw a stable putter on Anheuser through that gap. Okay. You have complete control over the shot. People weren't doing it because that's a harder shot to throw. If you throw it with Anheuser through that gap, you could pull it into the stuff and you're bringing the bigger side of the lake involved. 
if I throw putter with Anheuser through that shot high, I can turn around if I hit the gap middle because I know it's going to be good. Everybody's throwing with Heiser to try to just get through the gap, and then you bring the left side into play. And that's why everybody's like, okay, I know I didn't play it the perfect way. It's when you pull it on accident with the same shot, that's when you actually knew it was probably going to be good. You know what I'm saying? Does that make sense or no? It it does make sense. I I still just think the landing zone for a blind shot is just so tiny. That's my only thing is it's like, it's a, so it's such a small landing zone for a blind shot. Um, yeah. And when it gets windy, it's impossible. It really is. Because yes. you could throw a good shot, and then it's like, oh, it could just drop right into Who the pond. Who knows what's happening? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought the course was was very good um, with variation, though. I, I didn't feel like I was... Uh, there was so there was a lot of par fours that you were like... Like you were saying, AB, you were throwing like kind of placement shots and like trying yeah. to just... Th- there was maybe what two or three holes where you're throwing like uh maybe more four or five holes that you were throwing like full power shots, but it didn't yeah. it didn't it didn't seem like a, a a repeating course which I liked I thought there was a lot of variety, yeah. so I thought that was good. Um, did you guys hear anything from like spectators on the ground? Because that's the only other kind of complaint or con I guess you oh, could it- say about the tournament is like it wasn't the greatest for spectators on the ground. Yeah, there's like two or three holes where they can't even see a single shot on the hole. Yeah, they just aren't even allowed to go back there. I'm fine yeah. with that. I'm fine with with a with a area where spectators can't go if it's a good course, but I keep saying this, there has to be a hangout spot to where they're not going there. Mm. They go to a certain spot they can watch on a big Got screen and, yes. and they can see them play. They can get a couple drinks or something, buy a couple discs, buy some stuff, and then, oh, here they come out of the spot. Okay, time to go, and then they can follow them. Yeah. I, I always think that there should be something like that, and there never they is. They could put one of those behind the fairway on hole 18, like way deep yeah. past the flags. I thought Ooh. that would be a perfect area. Yeah. yeah. Or, or like when they were down into the goalie, after that uh, Venom sidearm that you would park down the hole every time. And that's oh, in between 12. a lot of holes. Yeah, that like big that, that big area that right big, there. That big area, that's where a lot of people were hanging out anyway. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. There's, I really felt like there should have been something right there, like a nice little vending area or something to where people are just there, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, and it's kind of a bodies. way. That was nice. That was nice. <laughs> I, I love the course. Bodies. It was one of my favorite courses that I've played in a long time. I will be going back because I liked it mm-hmm. so much. It was a lot my, of fun. I do have one complaint. Ooh. I freaking can't stand throwing down a damn road. <laughs> oh, I knew you were going to hate 16. <laughs> I knew you were going to hate 16. Dude, it's a road, bro. Or it's got mulch hole on three. It. Hole three. Road. I like I like getting ready to oh. throw a shot and hearing some guy in a giant pickup truck blasting it as loud as he can down the freeway. <laughs> and then there was another one that actually... W- actually hurt the tournament it was a tight par four that like you had like 17 options off the tee and then it goes like straight up to the left over oh, the hill gosh that hole that hole was did you ever birdie that hole ab oh, which hole? oh is that when, are you talking about hole no 11? i think it's like four are you talking about four 
no, you got no, no, throw no, no. down and then like you have the two fairways after your tee shot. I'm talking about the shorter one that has like yeah, that's 20 in the corner. Hole I actually I love that. Oh, hole. in the corner. I love yeah, the hole you go too. down and like, then up. One of my favorite holes. Yeah. But I landed in the middle of the fairway mm-hmm. after the rain. And they drove their dumb little freaking thing up and down that thing, and it was just a mud pit <laughs> because it's a road. Did you notice that? I landed in the yeah, middle. I couldn't yeah, run I up because it was a mud yeah, pit. It was sloppy. I'm like, come on, That's man. Funny. Did you birdie four Sunday? Oh man. Did you birdie hole four at all? Uh, either one of you guys? I seven no. and fived it. I thought that was the hardest. Time. I think that was the hardest hole to birdie. I had yeah. two putts at birdie from down the hill to the right. I would actually yeah. go over the top and crash go over the trees, like over. Oh, your tee, tee shot! Yes, you would. Yeah. You would just blast a tee shot over. It. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then that, you did that on Friday too gap. in the wind. Yeah, I did it every day. Gosh, I was five I over for sh- on that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that hole. I mean, the people I was playing with, guys, that hole ate our lunch. That yeah. was. <laughs> That would have been exciting to come out and watch how how the people I was playing with played that hole. Um, my card too, man. My card too. It was brutal. <laughs> I, yeah, I, even the people hilarious. in front of me were like coming back from the tee oh. and like losing their discs. <laughs> we're like, oh my gosh. Yeah. I think I think this is a course though that gets a lot better as it gets worked in because there were still some holes where I was like, that bush probably shouldn't be there. Like, you know, like that's pretty much in the fairway. That's a good shot. A Christmas tree, dude. There, oh, there was, the there was three. still, there's, there's still some stuff that needs to kind of get cleaned up. And I think it will. Um, I think they also need to try to figure out what they're doing with the cliff situation, because I forgot to mention this, Yuli. I took my first ever, and I'm curious if you guys have ever have, have, have had this happen to you. I took my first ever penalty stroke. After a round, I got pen- I got a pony stroke. Have you guys mm-hmm. ever gotten a pony stroke? Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Lots oh. of times. <laughs> oh, from what? One. Playing played, holes uh, wrong. Yeah, uh, doing all kinds. <laughs> okay. Well, I guess I haven't been playing long enough. But I threw um, on one of the holes. Is it five? It might be five. Is five the one where you go down and to the left? Yeah. Down or. Is like you throw like you'll throw like a zone down and then your yeah. next one's like a power forehand up into six. the little cove. Oh, six. It's right yeah. next to that really uh that really cool par 3 where you throw like a big turnover or you throw a forehand. Yeah. That's like six. hole 18 and then that hole and then that hole. Six? Yep. So I threw it it clipped the tree. There it is. Size has it. I threw it clipped the tree on the way out. Came backwards. And that cliff right there, there's like roots and stuff growing out of the cliff and there's a bunch of dead limbs on it. So it landed and it's levitating on like the cliff, like two, three feet off the cliff. And I looked at it and I was like, I, I'm like, I, I can't play that. I'm (laughs) it's, it's on a cliff. Like I will die. Um, and so everyone on my card was like, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess we'll just play it how we play all the other cliffs, right. Of where you just take it to a safe spot. And so I did that. And then after the round, someone brought it up to the TD and was like, oh, Hey, Brody did this. And then, uh, the person, (laughs) it was so weird because in the moment 
everyone was like all about it. It was like, yeah, man, like I just do that. Like there's nothing else you could do. And I was like, okay. And then afterwards, like this person really wanted me to, the tune changed for some reason of where they were like, (laughs) he needs to get stroked for this. And to the point where they said, if rules don't matter, then I'm just going to show up tomorrow and play shirtless. Yeah. And again, guys, I'm so much over par at this point. And Julie knows from the conversation we had, I did not care at all. So I was like, literally just get me a stroke. That's fine. But But I think you play it wrong. What were you supposed to do? I think I was supposed to play an unplayable and re T or play an unplayable and throw from the first spot. It's playable. I guess because there is, there wasn't anything, there wasn't anything that was no safe. So I guess they it, said it was casual. So I, I think it's the same thing as like throwing it into like a sawgrass plant and being like, yeah. I can't physically get into this plant and throw. So then you just take an unplayable and take a stroke. So um, that's what ended up happening. But it was very weird too. You guys know on hole 15, the water before you get over. You know, you're you're throwing your shot up into the left, and I, I guess that lake doesn't really exist unless there's a lot of rain. But it wasn't marked as casual or anything. Oh, on fourteen. Is it four? Is it fourteen? Yeah. yeah, before the par five. Yeah. Before the par five. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fourteen. And like someone threw it into the water, and I like texted Phil, being like, "Is this guy have to like walk out and throw this shot? Because it's not it's not listed as casual." And we looked up the casual rule. The casual water rule is not a great, it's not like really well defined in the PGA rule. It's confusing. So that's where I said, what do you guys think about this? I think it should be if you put your foot in like in that piece of paper in your lie, if you step your foot down and water comes up out of the ground and is like by your shoe, even though if you move your foot, you don't see any water. If you put your foot down and water comes up by your shoe, like that can, to me, that should be casual. And Julie, that would have helped you in your mud pit. I was so mad at the mud pit, dude. I was right in the middle of a tire mark, bro. I was like, ah. But that takes away all like the gray area because, yeah. like, right now it's like there's there's a very weird gray area in it. But that's the only that's the only other con I had was like the the cliff situation there. I don't know why they decided that those two cliffs are the only cliffs that are unplayable. Yeah. When there's a there's a lot of, of other. I was playing with this one guy and he was like trying to figure out how to throw the shot for four minutes. <laughs> Cause he's on the side of a cliff. He's like Billy goating it over there. And I'm like, dude, I, I was literally thinking in my head, like I visualized, I don't know if this was a good thing. Again, I was in a weird spot, but I visualized like what it would look like if he slipped and fell. And I was like, oh, what no. would, what? it's like, what would I do if this guy slipped and fell 30 feet down this cliff? <laughs> oh man. Um, all right, Yuli, you got anything else for the champ here? Nope. The champ. <laughs> yeah, how does that sound, by the way? I love it. Yuli called me champ today when he and then he smoked me in our little round today. But oh, no. <laughs> it was a big <laughs> pillow fight. Champ, I shot like two under. <laughs> oh wow. Yeah. You guys played Vista? Both, yeah, yeah. We both bogey hole eighteen. It was a battle. Tough. <laughs> what is, what do they have as a eighteen now? How do, they've changed that hole all the time. What is it what is it now? Actually, a tricky little guy. Um, yeah, it's pretty fun. They throw from a tee pad that's like 150 feet further left, so you're like throwing more over the water. Okay, it's like a 
it might be an easier angle, but it looks a lot cooler. They still doing that like the triple Mando thing there on that hole too? No, no, not anymore. Triple Mando like gone. A, it's like an island green kind of. Oh. I remember. Yeah, cool. Do you guys remember the last tournament? I think Eagle threw a disc on that hole. He didn't throw the disc that he wanted to throw. He threw a disc that he was okay losing. Do you guys remember that? Are you talking about the triple manual when you missed it high? There, he was like, it was the final hole of the tournament because I think that was the year that it ended at Vista for some reason. I can't remember what year that was. But he was playing, and I remember him saying something along the lines of like he didn't want to throw one of his discs and lose them. So he threw a disc that wasn't the like the right shot disc for that hole. Simply I thought that was the wild thing, which I don't know if he would still do the same thing. I still again, I do that all the time when I'm on You a do hole. that hole eighteen? Well probably not, a tournament? Probably not there, but I definitely <laughs> throw discs that I don't want to lose. Oh yeah, for sure. I lost how many discs did you guys lose at Olympus? I don't None. lose any. No, one. I lost it in that casual lake. Because oh, yeah. I played it, I played it blind. I was playing the par five, and I did a big turnover. <laughs> I didn't know there was a cliff to the right, and it was just like my best noob just. Well, I, lost, like, uh, I lost like five discs on purpose, actually, because Peter brought a bunch of ledgestone discs, and he had me just chuck them off the mountain on the hole eighteen for like little Easter eggs for people to find. Oh, that's I thought I didn't know if you were throwing those to people or not. So you're just chucking those to who knows where. Yeah, he told me to do it, so I was like, "All right, no, go find yourself a new ledgestone disc over there." Yeah, well, I have, I have a, juice. yeah, I have a sick nuke on hole eighteen. If anyone wants to find that, Listen, that that's I played gone. I played so bad on some of these holes. I found lost discs. <laughs> that like one I, I was telling you about. I found four? other people's lost discs. I was just like finding all this stuff, <laughs> looking for my stuff. There was five discs. <laughs> Five discs that weren't ours in the fairway. And we're trying, I mean, that was a hole that they definitely needed a spotter. They had a lot of spotters, but five or four, they needed a spotter because you would throw and people would go on the sawgrass. You have no idea. We were looking yeah. for discs and someone's like, hey, I got a yellow one right here. Everyone's like, no one threw a yellow. I'm like, all right. Oh, there's a purple <laughs> over here. No one threw a purple. There was so many discs just in the fairway on that oh, hole. Brody, last thing. Great yeah. story. Okay. Here hole we go. 18, second round, playing oh, with boy. my group. Get to the last hole. You're going to love this. Guys on the tee pad. Getting ready to throw. Stops. Looks at the group and says, guys, I don't want to shake hands or do anything on the last hole. I want to do it after. Heck yeah. And I go, dude, like you stopped us. <laughs> you, <laughs> you could have just thrown. <laughs> you could have just went. None of us were like doing that. It was the weirdest thing ever. I literally said that. So I wanted to tell you. Now you that. guys are now you guys are ruining everything. You guys are stopping no, it's just, it's and being process. like, no, 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 no. This is happening. Did you guys fist pump on hole 18's T? A B, you and Ricky? He gone. Oh, he doesn't want to answer that question. All right. I asked him one tough question. He bounces. Look at this guy. This guy's scared <laughs> of the tough questions. That's what Dude, you're ruining things, Brody. The guy literally stopped, looked at us. <laughs> None of us were going to do it. And he goes, just so you guys know, like, can we not? And then, oh, and then he said, this was hilarious. He goes, 
Well, I just didn't want you guys to stop me when I was throwing. <laughs> I've seen people do that though, Yuli. Like what? Yuli, I've seen people do that. I'm like in the middle of getting ready to throw, oh, and sure. someone like comes up to like fist bump, middle like getting ready. But uh, AB, I asked you cut out there. I asked, did you and Ricky fist bump before uh, teeing off on Holy Teen? That's a yes. That's a confirmed yes. Was that? I didn't hear him. I don't hear him. He's muted. He said yes. He's saying yes, for sure they did. You can read lips? Mm-hmm. I've seen some people shake their head like this and say no. <laughs> so I got to wait. I got to wait for audio to confirm this. <laughs> oh, can't hear you, buddy. Okay, hold Tyler, up a let's one. Get him back. Get him back. Hold up a one if you did, if you did shake If you did. Okay, okay, he did. <laughs> All right, there we go. We got visual confirmation that he did shake hands. Did you stop um, him in the middle of his throat? <laughs> yeah, Ricky. Ricky threw first there. Ricky threw first. Maybe he that was game. The deep end. Hey, hey, hey! Stop, that was stop, game, stop. Gamesmanship from uh, AB. Um, <laughs> I did. I did get a, a little bit of a chuckle out of one of the guys I was playing with because he did. He was the one that initiated it all and was like, "Hey, good playing with you. Good playing with you." And someone like brought it up, being like, "Oh, yeah, Brody doesn't really like doing that." And I was like it's not like I don't like it. It's just, I just said it was fun playing with you. And I was like, but like, what if you're a douchebag on hole 18? Now I can't, I told you already. It was fun playing with you. You can't take that back. You have that on me now. Like, I want to wait until the final, you know, tap out to, to make my decision on whether or not it was fun playing with you. Um, I think we have AB back audio. You hear me now? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, I do have a final friend kept calling me. You're fine. You're very popular. <laughs> You're winning a lot of tournaments. I do have a final question though for you. Yeah. Final question. How was it everyone taking score? Um I I didn't mind it. I usually would try to do the PGA live before, but during the first nine holes of the second round was pretty bad because nobody Nobody had any service or any access to the app. Oh. <laughs> so I ended up, yeah, we didn't, nobody knew what the live score was happening. The only one who had service actually was the guy who wasn't even from America, Niklas. He has a completely European phone <laughs> plan, and his was the only one that worked. Oh. But yeah, so I ended up just taking, making a UDIS scorecard and putting in the scores because I didn't have a paper one. Ooh, don't say that too loud. <laughs> PGA yeah. might come after you using uh, Udisc. <laughs> I, I don't mind. I don't mind using the the thing. I think it's. I think we should all use paper because I didn't thing, have a problem. All of us doing the scores. It didn't. But but when the thing crashes, guess what happens? You can't take score, which yeah, is exactly was, what happened. I didn't even take score for nine of the holes, and I was like, I'm not going to get stroked for this. I don't have another mm -hmm. option. They called me after <laughs> the tournament, like five hours after, and are like, "Hey, man, can you like?" Can you like hit your score thing? <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> Confirm your route. <laughs> For real, they that did. Because I, I got done and we did it all by paper. And I'm like, all right, we got a paper one. Are we good? Like, I'm not going to wait here till the PDJ figures out how to get their site back up. And they're yeah. like, yeah, you're good. And then they called me up. They're like, hey, can you, can you hit confirm on your scorecard? You're messing everything up. I'm like, all right. Yeah, I thought That's that funny. was the only weird thing about all of us keeping scores. That it didn't actually seem at the end that you needed to all keep scores. Cause I did yeah. paper. Um, 
I did paper all three rounds and, and maybe it was because we were, you know, in last place that they really didn't care, but it just seemed like <laughs> the person I was handing my scorecard to was just taking it and like putting it in the Throwing trash. Yeah. yeah. So I don't think, I mean, I could have, I could have wrote some, you know, Egyptian letter in, in there instead of a number. And I don't think anything would have changed. So, nope. um, all right, AB, you have anything else? You you've been awesome so far <laughs> yeah. on the pod. Um, just I know everyone loves to, having you on here. Yeah. Shout out to my sponsors, Discraft, grip pastry dyes and my friends and family. And yeah, go over to teamdiscraft.com, Get yourself a Jersey. It's crazy. How many people support me, especially in Arizona. Like today we came out and there's a whole group of four players playing in the Jersey. I just won in on Sunday. So that was pretty cool to see. Sick. And yeah, the support is unreal. It's just so many people have been pulling for me and I'm glad to finally do one for them. What was your uh, celebration dinner? Texas Roadhouse, baby. Again. That's how it's done. Get the rolls. You know <laughs> how it's bet. done. All right. Very cool. We appreciate you, AB. Congratulations. Thanks for coming on, taking the time, and uh, good luck this upcoming week. And everyone else will see you in Waco. Sweet. All right. Thanks, guys. All right, take it easy, brother. Have a good one. All right, that is your 2024 chess.com invitational champion, Anthony Barilla, and you can call him a B. All right, let's talk. Uh, let's kind of go down a little bit of the leaderboard because I do want to call out some, some performances uh, from this past week. And, uh, you know, some pri- surprising finishes for some. You've got uh, this, this was your top 10. You got a B. Ricky in second, Aaron Gossage shooting the course record eight under, which I was surprised. Were you surprised the course record was eight? I thought it would have been a little, I thought someone could have gotten a double. I think if we played it again, someone's getting doubles for sure. I think if Friday wasn't windy, yeah, Friday wasn't windy. I think you're right. I think people would have played better on Sunday. Friday was like, not like a real round. Like we were playing all those holes way differently. Yeah, it was nuts. Uh, Gannon Burr, you know, a lot of question marks on how he was going to do with, uh, Dismania, new plastic. He finished in fourth. Then you got Kyle Klein, his, uh, Dismania teammate finished in fifth. Isaac Robinson, kind of like a sneaky sixth place there. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Matty O had a great finish sixth place. He, he could have actually finished in the top three struggled on whole, uh, 18 actually. I think he doubled hole 18 or he bogeyed hole 18. I think if he would have ended up taking a par or birding that, uh, he could have finished um, in the top five. Uh, then we keep going down. Gavin Rathbun. This was one that I definitely wanted to highlight. This is a guy that at one point in time, Yuli, we were all talking about how this is like the next big guy. Yeah. Grows far, great putter good sidearm gets injured and really struggles after his injury. Uh, I think I looked it up last year. I think he finished like 120th at USCGC 60th or something at worlds. And then only ended up having four top 25s all last year. Wow. And he comes out the first event of the year, shoots 12 under six under the final round and finishes tied for six. So that is a name to to keep an eye out. Guy's got a lot of skills. Uh, Jesse Neiman, who is one of the European guys, him and Nicholas Antilla 
Antala, excuse me, uh, both finishing tied for ninth with Joseph Anderson, another kind of young up-and-comer. We saw him perform pretty well at a few tournaments last year. Keep an eye out for him this year. Going down the leaderboard, too, you know, I think this course was one that, um, you know, I think which made it even more impressive with AB is I think a lot of people put AB in that category of like, he only can really play well in golf courses, courses that you can throw really far. This was not that course. We kind of <clears> talked <throat> about it. You only need really big distance on a couple holes. And so that's why you see some of these guys that aren't known for like big distance, you know, Matt Bell, Bradley Williams, Andrew Presnell, all finishing with the top 20s, good finishes, uh, you know, throwing just a lot of shots in fairways and giving themselves a lot of chances. Um, let's see. Calvin Heimberg, we got to talk about him. Also, James Proctor. Surprise with James Proctor. Chris Dickerson, too. J uh, Chris Dickerson, James Proctor, shot four under, tied for 28th. And um, you have Calvin Heimberg tied for 34th. What are your thoughts on those three big names, you know, finishing outside the top 25 here at the first event? Any thoughts? I think this was a kind of course that you can get on this bad wave of just not throwing the correct shot, even though you think it's the correct shot and then it'll just bite you. Cause I felt like I did the same thing. Like I felt like I was getting through the fairways and then it just wasn't working out. And when you get on that like negative side of, of, that course bogeys come in all shapes and sizes every single there's not one hole that's like guaranteed birdie getting that one except no. for like hole three and like hole i think it was uh 14 were the only ones where you're like okay i gotta get a birdie here you would like to yeah you would definitely like to have a look at it for sure um and again it's the first tournament of the year so i'm sure some people are kind of brushing off some of the rust and trying to get it figured yeah. out andrew marweed finished Tied for 40th. Kevin Jones tied for 44th. Uh, scroll down some more. Mason Ford at 47th. James Conrad at 52nd. Chris Clemens, new to Discraft. He finished with uh, tied for 52nd. I think he actually played pretty well his first round on Lee card. Yeah. Um, and then it looks like he kind of struggled. And then that was what we were kind of talking about. This course, you can, it can get away from you in a hurry you can yeah. feel like you're playing great and all of a sudden it is it is gone uh you got paul Macbeth tied for 52nd yuli you're here at tied for 63rd ezra aderhold at tied for 70th um and then yeah some other names too you have to scroll really far down to get to me uh but yeah there you have it sullivan tipton dnf i did not hear about this any any idea what happened there all good. Pretty you broke know? his wrist like a few broke months ago. A few months ago, yeah. Uh, no, in the off season, and then he had just started throwing a bunch again. Oh, um, might not and be he ready. Wasn't, yeah, I don't think he's ready. So, mm, okay, yeah. Jake Mon, I saw him on the putting green. He uh, he broke his hand, and now I guess he's like trying to get good left-handed because there's nothing else for him to do. Yeah, he was catting for uh, Evan Scott. It was pretty funny. His uh. He's in a cast and his cast is like this. And so whenever Evan would throw a good shot, he would just hold his hand out and it's just an automatic, <laughs> like, automatic like thumbs up. Uh, pretty good stuff there. Um, so this was a graphic. This was thrown up by Disc Golf Fanatic, I believe on their Facebook page. And it kind of just shows 
Paul's history at this course. Now, granted, it wasn't the same course, right? It did get changed, but this was a course that Paul has dominated in the past. He won it five years in a row, it looks like, or I guess he played the last five times he's played it. So he played 2017, 2018, 2019, won it, and then played 2022, 2023, and won it. Um, but again, you know, it's, it, it is a completely different course. And like you said, Yuli, that first round, you definitely could kind of get behind the eight ball a little bit there real quick. So I don't think there's really too much to read into people's finishes. If they didn't play well at this tournament, I think, you know, coming out of the Texas swing, if someone hasn't performed well, then I think we can start maybe jumping to some conclusions but as of right now, I think there's nothing really to, to mention there. It's first term of the year. I agree. All right. Yep. Let's uh let's let's go over FPO here. So FPO, we had Evelina Stalinin taking it down with a five-shot lead, shooting eight under the final round, just absolutely dominating the field the final round, winning by five strokes over Ella Hansen, Missy Gannon, and Holland Hanley, Hanley finishing in third, so good showing there from Discraft. Then you have Hina Blomrus at minus eight, Natalie Ryan at minus six, and then Stacy and Owen both tied for seventh at minus one, and this just kind of shows you how hard the course was, is you have Morgan Lins and Kat Merch at plus one and plus three, respectfully, finishing out. Oh, and Paige Pierce finishing out the top 10. So you have three people in the top 10, Yuli, that weren't under par. So that just yeah. kind of shows you. Um, granted, again, the fields are way different, right? The, the We've talked about this. The MPO field is way deeper than the FPO field. But it does just show you, like, this course was tough because you weren't just having – if you had a bad round, you weren't shooting two under and the leader right. shooting 10 under. Um, so big win for Evelina. This is her fourth elite major slash uh, fourth elite slash major win for her. And uh, I thought this was a funny meme that I saw. I don't know if this was, or if it originated from Reddit, but that's where I saw it is. It was uh, a little happy Gilmore mean where you have shooter McGavin saying uh, shooter McGavin being the FPO field and Evelina at, as happy Gilmore at the top saying Evelina learned how to putt and then shooter McGavin being very sad and uh, <laughs> Evelina, AKA happy Gilmore being like, uh Oh, I thought that was a very, very clever. This was something that I have been saying for a while. And I think a lot of people have been saying this for a while. She is the best tee to green player. In FPO. Yes, you can you can throw Chris Tatar in there. Chris Tatar is not that far behind, but Evelina is the superior player when it comes to Tita Green. And her putting has always been the issue with her. And apparently she went uh 89% C1X the final round. So she played really well. She was a hundred percent and she and laid she up laid the up. last putt. Yeah. Yes, so let's correct. keep it at a hunt. Another yeah. statistic that needs to be fixed is when you lay up a putt for the win, that's not a missed putt. I'm sorry. You think so though? Because when you kneel at the end of the football game, it goes down as negative yards. That's true. Yeah. I, I, that's one that I just don't think you can pick and choose. It doesn't matter. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. matter. Yeah. But my only concern here, Yuli, this is my only concern. I'm looking at her stats. She parked 23% of the holes. And she threw circle one in regulation 38% of the time. So she really didn't have that many long putts. 
inside of the circle. Still, I mean, so come did on. She incre- We've s- did she actually before- increase her putting? Did her putting actually get good? Or did she just yes. throw so well that she didn't need it? We've seen her miss bullseye putts. No, I know. Yeah, yes. we, we definitely have. We definitely have. So that was a big one. Now, everyone's going to be saying doesn't count until Kristen's there. So we we shall see. But good win for Evelina. And uh, I think Kristen will be coming over soon. So hopefully we'll see more battles, more battles here. All right. Disc Golf Network, PDJ Live Review. Coverage was free on YouTube on Friday. Any idea what happened there? Were they having some issues and that they decided to throw it up for free on Friday? No clue. Yeah, very, very confused by that. Not quite sure what ended up going down, but it was free for Friday. Uh, We talked about this a little bit. The PGA Live's website went down. So, yes, that was terrible for the players that were on the course trying to keep scores, but also very bad for the spectators and fans trying to pay attention. Hopefully, these are all just growing pains and stuff that, you know, the PGA just kind of got a little bit too far out in their skis and they'll kind of get it figured out here. The new stat, total feet made. Did you guys use that at all in your coverage for Jomez? Because I think that's one of the best new things that has come from this. I haven't checked out any of the stats. The first okay. round, I didn't have stats kept. The second round, somebody blew up all my stats. Um, the third round... Did you guys I have stats checked. for for Jomez, though? Did they give you stats to talk about for Jomez coverage? Or so, not really? Germs it, so Germs in charge of a lot of that stuff. He has his iPad right in front of him, and he goes over the stats and brings them all up and stuff. Gotcha. So that's not really something that I'm there. I'm more of a color commentator. Gotcha. Gotcha. So that that. is, that is something to look out for. I thought that was a really cool new feature. Uh, They need to add the favorites feature. They need it. They need to get that. That was the, like the biggest complaint I saw was you, there's no way to favorite your favorite players. So you're just scrolling. uh, And Hey, if, if I'm a person that you want to favor, I apologize. Hand up. I'm sorry for making you scroll so much this past weekend. (laughs) Uh, you had a scroll. You had a scroll a lot to find my name Same. on the leaderboard. So, uh, if I'm sure someone from the PDGA is listening, or someone that knows someone from the PDGA is listening, let them know. We want to see the fa- the favorites back. Fa- bring back the favorites, please. Um, we want to see that. Uh, what else we got? Uh, King Climo apparently absolutely killed it on the broadcast. Seemed he like did. a he big did. fan favorite. Him, Philo, and Ian. I think were the the, the group. And I think they did really, really well. So that was great to see. Hopefully we get to hear more Ken Climo payouts. Did you see these payouts, Yuli? I know I neither one of us got anything, but I take, I took a look before my final round. Cause I was hoping for a little, sneaky, a little, sneaky, a little top 45, <laughs> sneaky, sneaky. Uh, what would you think about this? First place, 10,000 bucks. Um, I like it. It looks good to me. Seems like, if this is our first tournament, if Waco can keep this model, looks pretty good to me. Okay. Yeah. I, what the, about you? The, my only issue is like, I don't know what the right number is. Maybe it's 25%. Maybe it's 15. Maybe it's 30. I, I, I just know I don't like seeing that our entry fees is 50% of the payout. Oh, I didn't even look at that. Yeah, I'm just talking about total numbers. When I yeah. look at that payout, it looks good to me. Yeah, yeah. I, I that's my only thing is like the the distribution, the money that's coming from entry fees compared to the payout 
And I get it. Most of the entry fees really is coming from sponsorships, right? Because most people on tour that have tour cards, their sponsors are paying for them to play in them. But still, I would like to see some more outside money coming, not from the entry fees. Yeah. Um, and I'm also, well, I guess that, I guess that chessboard was expensive because they have the trophy value here as $400. That's a pretty, it's a pretty expensive trophy. Jeez. Um, and then the other thing that people talk about, which again is something that I'm sure some people will debate in the comments is don't ever say the FPO is not paid. Well, they, again, the entry fee payout for them is 245%. The entry fee payout for the MPO is 212. So 30, 33% uh, more in the FPO. Um, let's see. What else did I have on here? Okay. Did you hear about this? On the Upshot podcast, they interviewed the UDIS marketing director, Steve Hill, who also used to work for the PDGA. He said on there that, the, that UDIS had offered... Uh, the PDGA, they had offered them discounted membership with each PDGA membership at zero cost to the PDGA, but the PDGA ended up declining it. So there was a lot of chatter on that of where it didn't even seem like there was something that the, that you just could offer the could PDGA to keep them. Yeah. It, I think it's like the PDGA almost kind of had in their mind already we're not working with UDIS. We're doing it our own self. Yeah. Um, and then I don't know if you caught this. This this popped up on my feed, and this is wild. I'm not going to get too much into the politics here and whatnot, but this is something. Maybe this is maybe this is something that the PGA. Maybe there's something behind the scenes that's going on that we, we don't know. But Steve Hill, the guy that went on the Upshot and talked, he posted on his Twitter. This was posted on February 24th at 5.07 a.m. He said, the one thing I will definitely not miss about UDISC Live is the transphobes on our social posts. So um, where I'm at on this is regardless of where you are on the fence, right? If you are pro or if you're anti, regardless of where you are, I don't know if you're the marketing director for a company in disc golf, if you want to like come out and because I think, I think a lot of people that are anti having transgenders play an FPO kind of fell attacked and being like, just because I don't agree with you doesn't make me a transphobe. I yeah. just, and so I think, I don't know. I think that statement is one that, can potentially hurt your business a little bit by coming out and saying something like that. It's just my it for take sure on can. It. No, it for sure can. I mean, um, you have to be careful with all when you own big businesses, you got to be careful with, um, what you say because you're, you're selling a product to all kinds of different people with all kinds of different beliefs. And it's, uh, I mean, that's just something you have to be careful with. I mean, we have to be careful with it. Everybody oh, yeah. does. Yeah. Uh, Edwin stats just hit us with another good one. Evelina's average putt made was nine feet, four inches. Second lowest out of the top, top, top 10. So she right. wasn't. Yeah. So it doesn't look like she was drilling putts all over the place. I saw her um, make some putts, man. 
Someone also said that they they saw they might have saw Jeff Springs say that they were keeping the first round free on YouTube. That's news to me because everything I saw when it came out oh. said that everything was behind the paywall. So unless I misread that, I thought uh, maybe they switched it. They had a little yeah, switch and swoop. Maybe they heard. All right. What about this? Matt, what about? Yeah, go for it. Wait. What about this? How do you feel about? Everybody getting, well, not everybody, but a bunch of people getting stroked for not showing up on time. Oh, a bunch of people did end up getting stroked. I would have gotten stroked. I would have gotten stroked the first round. Thomas Gilbert saved me because he said, Hey, if you're not there before, if you're not there five minutes before your round, you get stroked. I would have definitely showed up like four minutes before my tea time. I was talking to Austin Turner. He said two people got stroked on his card. Second round. Yeah. Where, when was that announced? Was there like an email or something that got sent out? Email. Yeah, you got an email. Really? I I don't ever. I how never do you feel? How email. do you feel about that? I'll say how I feel about. I like, it. I I like it. it. I like it. Okay, that's perfect because I hate it. Okay, why do you hate it? I hate it. I think that you have a time to get there to do what you do professionally, and for them to want you to get there early so that they can tell you about new rules and blah 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 blah, they can send it in the email just like they decided to stroke us. No, no, listen. They decide to stroke I you. Saying. I see what you're saying. They, they send an email for that, right? And then these people get strokes because they didn't read the email. That means that they're putting a precedence on, hey, this is an email that you have to read. If you don't read this email, you're getting strokes. Okay, so they, they send us out there. I'm saying if that's the case, then you can send us the email of what's changing about the course. It should be up to me to read it, and then I show up at my tea time. But for me to get there five minutes before my actual tea time, that's not my tea time. Should it be two minutes then? A, because you have, think, to, you have to get a scorecard. You have to get a scorecard. You have to know whose order. Is, you know, there has there is a little bit of stuff that needs to be done. You can't have everyone show up at 12 o'clock. If your team no, is at 12 o'clock, I, you can't have all four people show up at 12 o'clock. Because you're not I teeing off should, until 12 I, one. I believe, for my opinion, is you yeah. should be able to show up two seconds before your time to throw, and you should be able to throw and not get penalized for that. If you want to take your time doing whatever it is, that's your time. It's my job to show up on work on time. If they want you there five minutes early, then make my tea time five minutes early. And then it's up to them to tell me those things. But so you're for saying them to nothing like, should happen before a, you throw. It's not a real tea time. No, it's no, a, I'm saying like you, you should be able to, sh- if everyone showed up at 12 o'clock, you're you're basically saying remove all the stuff that you have right now before the tea time, which is requiring us to get there early because you know the starter wants to talk for two minutes about this, this, and this, and this. They want to do you know. You're saying remove all of that so people can literally just show up. And if um, and if you don't show up on time, you get stroked. Okay, but I could be I could be okay with that. I'm just I'm just saying I see this in in sports in general, like this, like, I think it was just last weekend and Anthony, Tom, Kim. Yeah. He was running to his tea time. time. And I, and I got a lot of pushback for people that I've talked about this too. And I'm going to get more, I'm sure. But they were saying that looks unprofessional. That's silly to me. Like Kim's running to his tea time and everybody's rooting him on. Like, ha this is funny. It doesn't happen all the time. And I've done this too, to where they're calling my name, like, Hey, you need to get there. And I'm running to the thing. Fans aren't being like, Oh, look at this unprofessional guy showing up late to his tea time. 
Yeah. Like, no, I was just late. Like things happen in life. Gotta go to the bathroom. Stuff stuff happens well, for sure. This this happened one time. I was at the GBO. I slept through. I woke up. I had uh six minutes to get to my tea time from my hotel at GBO. I didn't have a car. I ran outside. I got dressed real quick, ran outside with my bag. Somebody was driving in a truck. I waved him down. I paid him 20 bucks to take me to the country club. <laughs> I got out of the car and I ran up and I was two minutes before my tea time and I got to play the whole, I didn't get to practice or whatever, but I made it to my tea time. You know what I mean? Yeah. If they want us, I think if you want us to show up at that time, it's not my tea time, then make it five minutes earlier. That's all you have to do. Instead of me being 1040, I'm actually 1035. I get there. That's part of my thing. That's when I'm supposed to show up. But they're making it sound like, no, you have to show up five minutes before your tea time. So now you essentially have two times you have to show up and do your thing. And then I got mixed messages as well. They said, okay, you can show up and then you can leave. You can check in and then leave. That's wild. But that's not what the rule says. So somebody Mm. was telling people they could do this. But what it says is you have to show up and you have to be present the whole five minutes. So people were then leaving, and I even asked because I, I was a little bit late one of the times, and I'm like, no, I got I to gotta get down there. I'm going to get stroked. I can't sign your disc. So I checked in. I'm like, hey, can I go sign a couple of discs because people were chasing me down? They're like, yes. I left. Technically, I'm not allowed to do that. Mm. So there's a lot of like stuff that kind of goes in into this where I'm not a big fan. I see what you're saying. I, I think there, there need to be some sort of um... – and what you're saying is you just wish that they were more stingent on tea times and be like, Hey, if you're not there by your yeah. tea time, you're getting stroked, which I think they've been kind of lenient on that they in have. the past. Yeah. And I think, I think, I think what you're saying is, is, is right to where my, my thing, it would just be, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what the right way of doing it is, but yeah, five minutes is too much. I'll say that I, five minutes is too much. It's a long time. I don't mind it. This is what I'm saying. I don't mind it. I'm there early. I understand it's a rule. I play by the rules. I'm going to get there early. It's fine. I put it in my thing. I put an alarm 10 minutes before the five minutes before I'm supposed to be there for my, (laughs) for my tea time. Um, but I just think the fact that they emailed and then stroke people because they didn't read the email tells me that they can send the rules before the whole thing happens. And we don't have to be there five minutes beforehand. Hmm. Yeah. Well, we'll see. We'll see. What do you guys like? Do you guys like seeing people run up to their tea time? Maybe, maybe, maybe that's a, I don't maybe think that's that, a fun thing for fans. Maybe fans like seeing that sometimes. Sometimes it happens. What I'm saying is that people are saying that it's totally unprofessional and it's like, Hey, sometimes you're late to work, dude. It happens. Yeah. Sometimes you're late to work. It's is it unprofessional? Yeah, but sometimes that happens. It's not like you're sometimes trying to be unprofessional. You can't be pro- professional twenty four seven. Impossible. And and I don't feel like it's like a big deal to me. I don't like look at somebody and be like, oh, there are some people who are late to a lot of things, and you're like, yeah, I'm not surprised. I'm not if it's surprised. Continual, if it's a continual <laughs> yeah. thing, then maybe. <laughs> But yeah. once in a blue moon, well, yeah. I, I don't think you can get too upset about it. Yeah. Well, let's talk about something else that's unprofessional. The wild story of the week here. I okay. first stepped on a course for nine holes with a literal Frisbee in Mans- Mansfield, Ohio in 2019. 
By late 2021, I had truly discovered disc golf and quickly fell in love with it. I eventually exposed many friends and others around me to the sport. It wasn't long before I had a fairly regular group that attempted to get out to play about once a week. We were fortunate to have multiple courses close to home. Our clear fork reservoir course had a nice mix of wooded technical holes along with holes that were semi-open in the picnic areas with many trees, which are very spread out. We came up onto hole 14 to find many very atypical obstacles. The Amish often frequent the reservoir to fish. I haven't, I have often seen one to two horses tied up near basket 14. However, today there were approximately 10 plus horses tied up and they were all around the basket. We contemplated skipping the hole as we didn't want to harm any animals, nor get kicked in the process of play. After a short discussion, we decided to play the hole and do our best to play short of the horses. Oh gosh. My drive made it down the narrow wooded fairway and landed near the head of the standing horse at approximately the edge of circle one. My friend walked, uh, my friend worked his way down and ultimately ended up near the same horse. As we approached the horse moved slightly, which allowed us to get our discs without changing our lie. We did something we had never done before in disc golf and most have probably never experienced. My best shot at a putt was to throw between the legs under the belly of the horse. My friend opted to go over from his lie. I was very close to hitting my putt. Ultimately, we both missed. No animals or humans were hurt in the process. Another memorable memorable disc golf experience. Best of luck to you guys this year. I enjoy listening to guys on Tour Life, watching Yuli on Jomez and Brody's doubles matches with Ezra. I had the privilege of meeting both of you at our first Pro Tour event in Kentucky 2023. Congratulations to you and your wife, Paul. Children are such a blessing. God bless Wes Tomlinson. Wow. Throwing between the legs of a horse. Got to have balls to do that one. Um, If if you have a wild story, send it in to us. We want to hear it. Wildstorytour at gmail.com. Send in your wild story to our intern, David. Wildstorytour at gmail.com. All right, we ready for some Edwin stats here, Yuli? I was going to say, I once almost got stomped out by a horse. Wait, how so? This is a crazy story. At a disc golf store? No, it's a disc golf story. I'm going to just say this is okay. Okay. This is like, this is one of my wild stories on tour. I feel like it's a good time for it. I was, uh, way back in the day, I was traveling with my friend, Corey Sharp and Josh rolling. We're going from Utah to Idaho to play the Idaho state championships. Now on this track, it is a long ways of nothing. Just fields, both sides, right? It was hot. The way I remember it was a hot day and I was trying to roll down my window, but my best friend Corey at the time wouldn't let me roll down the window. So we're going at it. I'm pissed. He's making fun of me and I'm actually getting mad because I'm like, you know, you're like little brothers at the time. Like you just, you just have a little tussles. I got so mad. I'm like, pull the car over. I'm getting out. He's like, all right. So they're laughing at me. They get it. They pull over and I'm like, pissed. We're in the middle of nowhere. I get out of the car. And I walk through this fence and I'm like, I'll find my own way to freaking Idaho. I go through like this little fence and I like sneak under there and there's like a little tree and I like just sit there. I'm like just fuming. Right. And I look in this field and like probably like 200 yards away, I see like a few horses and I'm like, okay, whatever. And I'm sitting here and, uh, 
all of a sudden I see this horse and it starts doing the old, <sighs> and it's like, it's like doing this. I'm like, wait, what the heck is going on with this thing? Is he going to like, come get me? You know, I like my hairs like stick up on my, yeah. on my back and I'm like sitting there and I'm like, huh? And then sure enough, this thing starts charging me, dude. Oh my God. And it's a big old horse. And I'm like, Oh no. So I get up, I start running and I can hear this thing gaining on me and i'm running down the fence line because it's a barbed wire fence and i'm trying to find a place where i can actually get under there quickly because if i have to like negotiate my way through this thing i'm gonna get stomped (laughs) and it's like right here i can hear the horse so i go and i go to jump the fence in like one leap i found like a spot and i go to jump it because there's no barbed wire I hit the thing and it's an electric fence, dude. Oh, and I go, it shocks you. Boom. And it <laughs> throws, <Park>. me, <laughs> throws me back on my back and I can hear the horse like right oh on me. Gosh. Right. And I'm like, I can't breathe. I can't think you're paralyzed. And so I like, I like roll, I'm like rolling. Cause that's all I can do. And I like roll underneath the fence. And as I do that, the horse is like right there digging with his hooves, like at the thing, just pissed. And I'm sitting there, can't breathe. And I look over as I'm laying down and Josh and Corey are sitting there just bawling, laughing at me, watching the, whole thing. Watching oh. the whole thing. And I like get up and I like go over there. And get in the car, and I'm like, don't say anything. You know, <laughs> we drive the rest of the way to Idaho. But that was like one of the craziest stories ever because I'll never forget, dude. I hit the thing and boom, electric. Why is it? Why is it that like some of the funniest things are like near death experiences? Because <laughs> total, I could have died for sure. <laughs> they're all laughing, but if you would have gotten stomped out and died, like they're not laughing. You're not laughing anymore. <laughs> no. But it's like you're that wasn't that far off from happening. And it's crazy yeah. how that near death experience can just be becoming so hilariously funny. And you're yeah. like, well, yeah, I I could have died though. Like legitimately could have <laughs> like, died. For real. But it was just so funny because it was over him not rolling down the, you know, we're just two teenagers just yeah, mad as heck at each other. Oh, yeah. Well. That is good stuff. All right, let's jump into some Edwin stats here. We got some Please. good ones here. So the first one. It's going to be our 2024 MPO chess.com event recap uh, compared to 2023 elite major events. The chess.com invitational played the third hardest in terms of average score plus 2.3. Something to note. I think one of the reasons why this, it is a hard course. It is a difficult course, but one of the reasons why I do think it played hard as far as average score goes is it wasn't a um, super strong field in the sense we did have a lot of the top players there, but a lot of good players didn't come to this event because it's just one event in Florida. And then we have a week off and then Waco. So I think a lot of people didn't want to fly down and play this event. So that's something to to consider a little bit uh, when it comes to how hard this course played based off of the average score. Um, the distance was 10,281 feet. So over 10,000 feet. No, it wasn't a short course. And that was one no. thing I really liked about the course too, Yuli. We didn't have any like dinking par threes. No, there wasn't like, Oh yeah. Throw this super technical 215 foot shot. Um, so this was right in between 
event average score to par. The only courses that really played harder than this was PCS Open and Ledgestone Open. The easiest holes on this course were hole 13 and hole 15, which is the par 5. Makes sense. The hardest holes, we talked about it. Not surprised. Hole 4 and hole 17 were the hardest holes. Not surprised there. No. Uh, AB won by one stroke, won by one stroke after leading by four with two holes to play. While he didn't lead in any key statistics, he was top 10 and five out of the eight. This is uh, AB's first elite series win. This was his 63rd. Oh, so it was even better than I thought. So this was a 63rd attempt or a 63rd event since 2019. His first podium since finishing at world second place last year. He recorded his third best circle two putting event, 38.5%. Wow. He's putting really, really well. And uh, lowest OB rate since 2023 Champions Cup at 5.6. But again, a lot of that has to do with this course, just not having that much OB. Um, some key numbers here, minus 18. That was AB's winning score at chase at the chess.com versus minus 28 winning average in 2023. That just kind of shows you how much harder this course was playing versus some of the other courses. Um, 385 was the longest throw in new stat tracks by the PDGA. That's by Eric Oakley got an Eagle on hole 14 round two. Shout out to Eric Oakley. There you go. Uh, let's see. Paul McBeth had one of the worst finishes of his career. Aaron Gossage nearly had his first win and two Dismania players uh, excelled. You have Paul McBeth finishing 52nd place plus one worst finish since 2019 USCGC where he, uh, and he ranked 69th in C1 green and regulation. So he just wasn't throwing the disc that well. This tournament, it looks like only getting into green regulation, 22%, which is really low for him. Uh, Gooseman, we already mentioned, had the hot round of the tournament at minus eight. If he had matched AB circle one putting, he would have won by one stroke. That's a sick stat. Wow. So if he would have putted a little bit better from circle one, uh, he would have beat AB by one. Uh, Gannon Burr, first round with Dismania, led the event in scramble percentage 93.8%. It's really good. Did he just like not get up and down like once? Yeah, that's insane. One of only three players without any OB strokes. Uh, Nicholas led the tournament in birdie rate percentage, 46.3%. What the flip? He was birdied half the holes out there. That's insane. I didn't even realize that he finished second in fairway hits 77, 1% only behind Kyle Klein, Kyle Klein throwing the disc. Well, wow. All right. This is the one that I think everyone's going to love right here. Ready for this? Yeah. We've got the 2024 Manufacturer Cup, baby. This is what the people want. So this is how we're doing it. Only six manufacturers scored points for finishing in the top 10. Discraft scored the most points with 40. Dynamic Disc, Dismania had the most players in the top 10, three each. MVP, Innova, Disc Golf, uh, DGA had zero players in the top 10. So what we're doing, it looks like, is we're awarding 25 points. For first place, 18 points for uh, second, 15 points for third, and then it goes down by three, 12 points, 10 points for fifth, and then what is that? That would be uh, one point for 10th and two points for ninth, and then 
Maybe goes two points. Yeah, he probably goes to eight, six, and four, I'm guessing. So that's the point structure. So after one tournament, you have Discraft in the lead with 40 points. Dynamic Dis, second place with 25. Dismania, 23. And then Prodigy and Westside both with six. I love this. I think and, this is uh, going to be fun. So what Edwin is saying is he's using this Formula One scoring system. So this is exactly what the Formula One does. So pretty cool stuff here. We'll we'll keep this uh, going. I think people are going to like this a lot. If you guys like the Manufacturer Cup uh, statistics, let let us know in the comments section and hit us with the uh, Edwin stats in the comments as always. All right, let's get to some listener questions and we'll finish it out here. We'll kind of roll through some of these. Um, we'll save that one for next week because that's not time sensitive. Okay, Tim Allen wants to know, do either of you get a pro-level Disc Golf Network subscription for free as a perk of being on tour? I would assume Paul does as a Jomez crew member, but I'm curious how that works for both of you or if you have to pay for it. So Tim, if you're a tour card holder, you just send in your email and you get a free subscription. And I think they also give us two free ones as what well, three. So you get one for yourself and then three for family and friends. So it's a pretty nice perk for sure. It's very nice. Yes. Uh, Al wants to know for all the people who weren't at throw down the mountain, what was up with the Haley King stuff? A lot of rampant and hilarious speculation on Reddit, but nothing with any substance to it. As far as I can tell, there was another question too that said like, this was Alejandro. He said, who peed on the course as seen on Instagram, Haley King DNF. So a lot of confusion here. So Haley King posted this on her Instagram. It says, finally, I hate to have to say this, but here we are. If you are seen urinating somewhere in the neighbor's yard, you will receive a tournament warning and a second offense will subject a player dis- disqualification. And she said in her Instagram story, should be an automatic DQ with like this at PDJ. So I think some people were thinking she might have like got disqualified for being the person that did this. This was, I believe, an email that we got sent by the by the disc golf pro tour so she copied the text from the email posted it on her story and then i think she was saying it should just be an automatic disqualification there should be no warning she wasn't the one she she wasn't doing this yes i think there was some confusion there and for those that are wondering what the heck's going on here when we're out in the course and there's no bathrooms you're gonna have people go in the woods and go to the bathroom you're just going to have to the problem with this tournament was the porta potties were pretty far away from the practice facility. And there were woods just like kind of behind where we were warming up and practicing. And so I think people were going and going using the rest the bathroom in those woods, which was backed up to someone's uh yard. Property. Yes. Without really realizing that. And I think that person has had issues with the disc golf course being right next to their property. So they already are looking for something to complain about. So I think that's what this was all about. So it's really kind of a non-issue. I don't know why Haley King DNF, someone did say there was a comment that said that they watched her and it looked like she uh, messed up her knee again is what. Yeah, I believe she fell and hit her knee. Oh, okay. Yeah, that 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 would do it. 
Um, Cameron wants to know now that the banger zone GT has been approved, what will happen to the ringer zone GT? It's become a staple in my bag. And if it is unapproved, could I be penalized in a tournament for using it? Yes. 100%. If you use an unapproved PDGA disc, someone could penalize you by calling you out. Good news for you. Both the banger zone GT and the ringer zone GT are both approved. So you are good to go brother. Uh, dark and stormy. What is the concern level with Calvin right now? Putter looked off in round one and just didn't seem to have it for the most of the weekend. He hasn't finished this low since 2022 DMC. I heard he's possibly dealing with an injury, but are you concerned from last year's player of the year after a 34th place finish? So I actually texted him to see if there was any sort of injury. I don't know if he's traveling right now. He hasn't gotten back to me, um, but that's what I'm assuming it is. I'm assuming something is tweaked. My level of concern is zero. I was going to say yeah. 5%, but I was going to say maybe like a half percentage. I'm not, I'm not again. Yeah, if, if it's a bad injury, that's where the 5% is. But if not, yes. then people play bad. Sometimes it's okay. Uh, here's a good one for you. Yuli. Jason wants to know how did the pros walk hole to hole where their walkway paths, some of the lines to T to green looked impossible. Yeah, there were nice little walk paths for us. I I know that a lot of people went out there. There was a a guy who made something like ninety steps. Oh yes, I met that guy. That guy was yes. awesome. Yeah, yeah, he made like ninety steps himself to make it easier for us to get up and down spots, which was huge. Um, but I didn't have an issue with the walking. Something I see a lot of times with course design is people want to try to put tee pads right next to baskets and eliminate the walking between holes. I think that's a bad idea. I think if there is a tee that is a 30 second walk away from a basket and it's going to give you the best hole, that's what you should do. And I think that's what this course did. There were some holes that you had to walk 30 seconds, maybe 45 seconds at the most which is far for a lot of people because they're so used to tapping out and then walking like 10 seconds to the next tee pad. But yeah. again, if you're, if you're walking to get to make a hole better, I think that makes a whole lot of sense for me. Um, all right, let's see. Okay. Custom course maps. I don't think this person's biased with their question. Why won't the disc golf pro tour maps show uh, elevation when it's all anyone at Olympus is talking about. And they have this graphic here, Yuli, of one of the holes where I think this is hole 18. So you can see how you're throwing from super high up down and then it's a flat area and then you're going up again. I don't have an answer. I think this would be very useful for them to use. And Jomez too. Yeah, I like that. For you guys to have this to really show, did I don't you know, know why they're not using that. Fun fact: Did you know that like Simon has parked that hole before? Yeah, I could see it happening. It, it, it's an insane shot, but I could totally see it happening. They told me though it happened a while ago when because did you the ceiling? That is, yeah, that is something that probably needs to get trimmed up because it was a little bit like. Uh, like one of those mini golf holes where you have an obstacle, like this Spanish moss was like floating in the wind. Yeah. And I was like, how pissed would you be if you threw and like the Spanish moss, like flew into your disc. Um, so yeah, I, I don't think it was probably that possible with the way the ceiling is now, 
But no. I I think A B Eagle Simon. I think there's probably a handful of guys that could probably do it. But he did Crazy. it in a tournament, right? Which is even know. crazier. Just a living legend. Okay. <laughs> the legend continues. Uh all right, Tennessee twos disc golf. This guy actually posted a lot of cool, uh, cool stuff for us. A lot of good questions. Uh, I've, I've recognized his Twitter handle. Will player design slash redesign layouts be the future of Disc Golf Pro Tour? Seems like they've been extremely fair and difficulty for MPO in recent years. Yes, I think right now we have some good Disc Golf designers, but I think a lot of the pros, and maybe it's not even necessarily they are the ones designing it, but maybe like more consultation, more bringing them in, kind of like what they did for Champions Cup with you guys, right? Like Bushnell brought you guys in, yeah. or was that Bushnell or PDGA? Who? It was a PDGA. Okay, but Bushnell and was Bushnell involved. working together, yeah. Yeah, I think I can see that happening more, right? Yeah, because they should. any uh, the courses that have a player's name behind it. Tend typically be really good. The only other person, Nate Heinold does a pretty decent job on the courses. And then the other one is, um, Oh shoot. What's the OTB guy's name? Oh, I, I blanked on it. Oh man. What's that guy's name? Scott Clark. No, that's not it. Someone help me in chat. Oh, gosh, I know, I how like, am I forgetting I, that? I like UC Marismas design. Yeah. European open solid. That's the only course I think I've played. Um, shoot, what is his name? It's like a, a three or four letter name. It'll pop in my head here in a second. I'm getting too old. But uh, 36, not 37. Um, I always had it. Oh my gosh, it almost came to me. Okay, but he he does a really good job out at OTB. Um, okay, let's see. What else? Oh. Cameron asked Brody, why uh, this is our last question. This is a fitting one. Brody, why not DNF and make up some dumb excuse like others have in the past? What drives you personally? Fish? So that's something I, I I've talked about. I've, I've harped so much about, I, I just don't have any respect for people that DNF fake injury or say something really silly, make excuses for why they play bad or anything like that. If you can finish the tournament, you should finish the tournament. Um, I was able to meet a whole lot of people after my round on uh, honestly every round, but round three, you know, Sunday, there was a lot more people out on the course. So I stuck around for 15 or 20 minutes and got to meet a lot of people. If I would have DNF'd, that wouldn't have been the case. And honestly, I, I said the most fun I had was throwing a rock at Tim Barham's disc on hole uh, 15 and trying getting out of the tree, but probably the most, um, memorable moment would probably be like me interacting with the fans. Cause you know, even though I didn't want to be there, I didn't want to play. I didn't enjoy being there, which was a real struggle for me mentally to try to figure that out. It still was very fun and very cool to meet people and hear their stories of how they got into disc golf or where they came from and, and all that. So I do, I always appreciate meeting the fans um, because with just with how my career has gone, you know, I think there's a lot of people like AB, for example, he's been so successful in disc golf that like to his fans are kind of just like icing on the cake, if you will. 
I, for me, like my start of my career and like where I've made my money and stuff have been because of the fans. Like it wasn't like I was making a crazy amount of money because I was really good at ultimate Frisbee. It was because of the videos I was making and the people watching them. So I've always been very appreciative uh, of that, of the support that I've gotten. So to me, that's always my favorite part, or at least that was, that was my favorite part uh, of doing that. And I would have not been able to, uh, I would not have been able to do that if I DNF. So there you have it. Uh, All right. Tour life crew. I think we have some new additions. So shout out to Jake Smallcomb. shout out to, uh, Oh, Frajar Elf. Vic says, Silas, can you get this to Brody after the show? I don't know what that means. Oh, he said, I discovered disc golf because of Brody. Now I watch most tournaments and follow other players. I know I'm not the only one. Hey, appreciate it. Thank you for the $2 or two euros and also becoming a member of the tour life crew. We appreciate you. I think there was a couple other people. I don't know if it goes back that far, but all new members of the tour life crew. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Um, merch update Silas. We got a merch update numbers. Oh, of course we do. So we got grip locked with one seventy seven. Ooh, 23 away from behind. 200 and number. tour life is at 208. We officially surpassed the 200 mark. Over 200. Nice job. Nice hey. job. Great work. Like Yuli's pump-up speech worked a couple weeks ago. Uh, if you're interested, I've, I'm wearing right now the Yuli horse hat. I just got confirmation that we have patches coming soon, which will be really sick. Can't cool. wait to get, get some sick tour life, some Yuli horse patches. Uh, I think we're working on discs as well. So if you're interested in that, Go over tour life or sorry, foundationdisc.com. Check it out. Also, Yuli, are you still doing your discount stuff? I am. Yeah. We still got the discount going over at my, my site. I mean, we have sold out of a couple of the things, but we still have discs over there that are, uh, on a big time discount. So like 15 bucks a disc, man, which is kind of crazy. Can't beat that. Can't beat that. Some merch as well, which is good. Nice. Um, Spotify, we're at 980. All of our Spotify Ooh. listeners out there, we are 20 reviews away from a thousand. Let's go. And uh, Apple Podcasts pulling up the rear as always, 263. We do appreciate our Apple Podcast listeners, uh, even though they are pulling in the rear for the uh, review list. Um, but hey, good show. That was. We haven't had a long one in a while. I, I I kind of figured it was going to be a long one. I was very excited to talk to AB tonight because Same. I think he. He's got to be one of the more interesting guys on tour with just his uh, trajectory, his journey of came in this young phenom. People were calling him literally. What were they calling him? Paul Mc. What, what was the? Like they were calling like Paul Mc. Were they saying Paul Macbeth two point Is that what they were calling him? Or yeah, he little, was getting compared to Paul Mc. Paul Macbeth all the time. Yeah, and so he came in with all these expectations has put himself in a position to win multiple times, uh, has struggled to finally get over the finish line. And in the very first tournament of 2024 already gets the monkey off his back. And uh, it, it could, uh, I, this tour is going to get really, really interesting fast because there are more and more killers yeah. being created every week. Cause that was really his only thing is like, he just didn't know how to win. Yep. And now he does. And so it's like, okay, well, what's going to happen now? 
Well, what's scary is he's he's won at every single level. So he's learned how to win at every single level now. He won mm. the junior world championships young. He won the amateur world championships at 14 years old, I think. That's crazy. Jeez. Jeez. I think he was 14 when he won the amateur world championships. And mm. and now, you know, took him a while, but he got it done. Yeah. It's uh it's very, very exciting. And, and FPO, Evelina winning, honestly, I like seeing it because I think out of all the FPO players, she has the best chance to close the gap between her and Kristen just because of her throwing skills. And I think for all of our sake, we would love to see a little bit more parity in the FPO. Yeah. It's fun. It's fun watching the dominance for sure. Yeah. But we want to see like the, we want to see the person have to like overcome stuff. And I think that's what we were missing last year is like, Kristen was just kind of walking to the finish line. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, all right. Did I miss anything boys? Silas, Yuli, anything that I miss? Nope. I don't think you did. All right. I did just get a confirmation that my, my wife, um, Oh we actually got our gender revealed today and she let people know. And I didn't want to like spill the beans on tour life, but I'm having a baby girl. So I'm super stoked, man. Today, today was awesome. We went into ultrasound and we got to see the whole thing. And it was like, you know, the real deal. It even had the hiccup. <laughs> she even had the hiccup. So you see saw it move and stuff. So today was a really big day for me and I'm super stoked. I was wanting a girl. She was wanting a boy. And so, um, thank God. Yeah. So when did like the, uh, when the, when is the process of like getting the room set up and all now that, you know, she's going to be on it, dude, she's going to be on it. Uh, I think that was the first once she knew she'll be, uh, soon, you know, she goes, she's actually with me right now. She'll go home, um, on Tuesday, this coming Tuesday. And then, uh, I'm sure she'll be Amazoning it up. <laughs> oh, geez. Super uh, excited. When you first see it, it's just like a little peanut, you know what I mean? And it's not as real. And now you get to see it has feet and arms and everything. And it, like I said, it started hiccuping and I was like, Oh my gosh, this is crazy. Oh man. So that, that was, that was some good news. I got all today. things good too. all healthy, everything. Yeah. Apparently That's when it awesome, has hiccups, man. it like it shows that it's actually breathing really well and everything's on point. The heart rate was perfect. Um, so Can you feel the kick too. Uh, she says she can't feel the kick. Cause we, I mean, this, this, um, she was moving in there, man. She, like I said, she had the hiccups. She was twirling around and she's putting on a show for sure. It was cool. So she has to get probably a little bit bigger before you can start feeling kicking. I think, I think that's so. Gonna be, that's going to be weird, dude. I know. That's, it's that's so, going to be so, so weird. The first time you feel that. Oh my gosh. That's nuts, dude. Yeah. Well, I know everyone, everyone's, uh, get showing the love and, and, uh, you know, spreading, spreading the good wishes and everything your way. So that's, that's freaking Thanks, awesome man. news for you guys. Yeah. That's very cool. So cool. And, um, so cool. Good luck this weekend too. Have fun out there, Thank man. You. Thank you. Tear yeah. It it's going to be a good time. I appreciate it, Brody. I'll see you down in Texas, brother. You got it.